0: Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. And we are here to talk about stuff with a new microphone. Yes. You may notice the audio quality is slightly different. We hope it's better. Please tell us if you think it's better. We think we've fixed some peaking issues and hopefully some overall audio quality. We still have in in no way, shape, or form a professional setup. Sure, yeah,
1: I mean, not even
0: close. <laughs> no. We are at a, a table, um,
1: next to our kitchen,
0: I have my laptop out,
1: yeah, and, but, it, but now the yeah, difference... In an apartment that sits right at one of the busiest intersections, like, in within a mile around here. Yeah. So that's why there's constantly cars going by. Also near where there are always ambulances and fire trucks going by. Yes. But... So not at all the optimal location for a podcast.
0: But the difference is, we now have a mic sitting in between us. Yes. Sort in of.
1: Instead of just... Using the uh, onboard microphone on your MacBook. Yes. So hopefully this sounds better. P- please tell
0: us. We hope you like it. Uh, you know,
1: give us some feedback on this.
0: And, you know, one day, hopefully we can have, you know, an even better mic. I'm not going to wish we yeah. like had all the other stuff yet. Yeah. But, you know. But, you
1: know, like last week we, when we would have said that, we would have just said, hey, we wish we had a microphone. I know. So, so we are
0: moving up in the world, yes. damn it. Yes, we are. Yep. All right. So on this week's episode of the podcast, we will be talking about a whole bunch of shit because no, no one major thing is going on right now. It's kind of the calm before the storm, though, yeah. because damn it, soon we are going to talk about Iron Man three, yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness, Man of Steel.
1: Uh, what? Uh, there's all sorts
0: of sequels and movies coming yeah. out.
1: Yeah, we're getting we're just getting into the movie season now. Yeah, it's like this little bulb. Like yeah. come before the storm.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, tons of stuff will be coming up and a lot of we will be very busy from this point on. So this was a good week to um you know, take a
1: little stock of things and yeah, talk do about do one some of our just bunches of topics just running through sort of the news podcast, yeah. which I, I I I'm really fond of. I like I, doing these, but I like them too. Yeah, you have to let like sort of stuff pile up before you can do one.
0: Yeah, so it's not a ton of stuff, but it's a good number of stuff we're going to talk A little bit about Sean's continuing Uncharted adventures. Yes. We're going to talk... Now on to the Vita. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit about some really great movie trailers that have come out last week. Last week was a big week for movie trailers, partially because of the MTV Movie Awards. We'll talk about some big Star Wars news. Some might say silly Star Wars news. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We're going to check in on Halo 4 multiplayer, because this is something we promised when we did our big Halo 4 episode last year. We reviewed the game, but we reviewed it in its first week, and obviously... Any Halo game in its first week, that's not what the multiplayer is going to look like at all, eventually. Yeah. And I think Halo 4 multiplayer has matured. It's coming to its own.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So definitely.
0: We, we're going to talk about that. And finally, as always, we're going to talk about the latest episode of Doctor Who, Hide, Episode 4 of Series 7B, and... Uh, so
1: so lots. lots it's Like I just I just love your you just like your fucking. It's just episode four because. But it is
0: episode. Like that's the thing is that this is like it's structured as a. It's not structured as episode ten of a season. Yeah. That's not yeah, what that it feels, feels like. It feels like episode. Too because, you know what, this is our fourth episode with the goddamn secondary yeah. main character.
1: I guess it's because I think of it as being the 10th episode because I have, like, archives of Doctor Who episodes, okay. so it's like I have a very specific, like, how I order and name files, yeah. so... okay. That's yeah. fair enough,
0: but it's like, yeah, and, and I'll think, maybe I'll think of it differently when I get the, you know, Blu-ray box set, and this is technically the 11th episode in the set because it'll also have, la- like, two years ago's Christmas special on it, because... Yeah. It's been so long That's since... That's true, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we do that rant too much. But, in any case, we're going to talk about lots of stuff. First, I want to say, I forgot to talk about this last week, but my book that I wrote and published, Fade to Lack, A Critic's Journey Through the World of Modern Film, is now available on Kindle. So, if you want to read my book, but you don't want to read the print book, which I understand, because print books just, are... just print is dead, like, yeah. let's be
1: honest. Like, Who gives a shit about putting ink on paper, goddammit?
0: I think a lot of people think that way. And uh so you can buy it for Kindle. It's only 7.99 and uh if you don't have a Kindle, I should say um this will obviously work on your iPad, iPhone, Android device, anything that has a Kindle app. And those Kindle apps are really nice. So if you just want an ebook copy and you have an iPad for instance, you can read it on there. Um But also, the file of the Kindle copy, which is really nice, had a professional service do it, it looks really good, it is DRM-free. I specifically requested that, because DRM is fucking stupid, especially on eBooks. Yeah. And if you use a, you can use a program called Caliber, and there are several other programs, you want to buy the Kindle copy, put it on your Nook, you can do that. I made it that way. It's, you buy the file, then you own the file, and you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. So go ahead, like, knock yourselves out. That's the way to do it. Put it
1: on a Torrent site, let people download it for free. Please don't do that. I would hate that, but, you know... But, you know, there's no DRM, so... (laughs) So, I mean, it's... It it would take literally no fucking effort. Like, I might just do that now.
0: See, this is the problem. We've talked about piracy before. You have to find this weird balance where I want to give, you know, I want to give the people, you know, what they paid for. Yeah. But yeah, there are assholes like you who have that attitude.
1: Yeah, I mean, sh- fucking jerk. <laughs> no, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm just you know. Okay, DR- I totally agree with you. DRM is bullshit. But it's like yeah, all the shit is bullshit. I know. It's not like the other side, like with like the pirating shit, is like in the right. No, of course yeah. not. But that's. I'm not arguing for the site yeah. that's
0: pirating. I'm arguing for the site who maybe wants to buy a visit, phys- like a digital copy, and put it on something. Yeah. So anyway, you can fade the lack. It's seven ninety nine on Kindle, and it is on sale everywhere on all the Amazons. It's and on Barnes and Noble. It's ten percent off or more. I I had no part in that. They just knocked a couple bucks off. So seventeen ninety nine in print, uh, seven ninety nine is a Kindle book, and it just got its first professional review in the Denver Post last week. Um, rave review. Really, I'm really flattered. Um, big shout out to the author. Thank you so much. Beautiful review. And um, I have to say, it's a surreal experience having written reviews most of my life to read a review about me. That's, yeah, it's like it's like going to a parallel universe.
1: No, I don't think I don't think it's. I was trying to probably nothing. I was trying to fucking close. I was trying to think of an analogy, and I couldn't. Like, think not of even in the ballpark of going to a parallel universe.
0: Not really. All right, but fade to Lack. Kindle edition. You may buy it. So, with that out of the way, Sean, last week. Yes. You told us all about the Uncharted trilogy which you finally got around to playing. Yep. Yes. So there it's a trilogy
1: but there's another game. There there is another game. It is interesting because while we we're doing while I was going through the discussion on the podcast, you reminded me of the existence of this other game and that I have access to that game because I am a PlayStation Plus subscriber and when I subscribed to play PlayStation Plus, one of the reasons I did that was because That month, when you you could do it, both Uncharted Golden Abyss, the Vita Uncharted game, and Gravity Rush, the other really, like, great Vita game that everybody loves, were on that service, so I was like, if I'm going to get PlayStation Plus, I should get it now, and then I proceeded to completely fucking forget that Uncharted Golden Abyss existed, because I didn't bother to download it on my Vita, unlike Gravity Rush, that is still sitting there, that I have not touched yet, because there's a lot of other stuff for me to play. It's good? Yeah, yeah, but... So, you reminded me on the podcast last week that Uncharted Golden Abyss exists, and while you were watching the new episode of Doctor Who, I was like, well, I've I need to do something for like the next hour before we start recording the podcast, so literally an hour ago, I started playing Golden Abyss for the first time, and I'm only like, you know, like 45 minutes into it or okay. whatever. Okay,
0: last time on this podcast you talked about a Vita game you were only 45 minutes into, it was one of the longest grants you've ever done.
1: That's true, it was practically <laughs> our entire podcast. This crazy. is not going to be that... Because I'm sure there is way more to Golden Mike. I already know there is way more to Golden Abyss than there was to Black Ops Classified. I played Black Ops Declassified for an hour and literally knew everything I needed to know about that game. It was able to give a complete in-depth review of the game on the podcast with just one hour of experience. This I'm not going to be able to do that. So, like, don't expect this to be really long. Because cause I, there's not much I can say about it yet. Like, so far, the voice acting is good. Like, the game looks great. It controls pretty well. Like, I'm actually really surprised by how well it replicates the Uncharted experience on Vita. And I'm having fun with it so far with that. But there's just this one funny little thing, because it is a... I believe it's a Vita launch game, or at least very, very close to It was a launch yeah. game, yeah. Yeah, so... And, you know, like, as with any console that has a few little gimmicky parts to it like when the PS3 launched with its six axis motion control controller and the original Uncharted on that game made use of the six axis controller in a really dumb way that you had to use it to like aim grenades and it was complete shit and thank god they got rid of that in Uncharted 2 so come now the Vita with the launch of the Vita which has and this is not to say that like these things are automatically gimmicks I think they can be used really well in like just for interface stuff and for just like gameplay things if you're creative with it but the Vita does have a touchscreen, a touchpad, and an inbuilt gyroscope that allows you to, for it to detect, sensor, or, uh, detect motion if you, like, tilt the thing. So it's got all three of those, which all have potential to be very, very gimmicky, and Uncharted Golden Abyss being a launch title and being sort of the flagship title for the Vita. Obviously, Sony wants, wanted them to make use of all of those things in the game, so most of, like, the time, time spent with the game so far has been going through tutorial stuff, and how they handle the tutorial stuff is so fucking clunky, because it's basically every single step you take, you run into a new little, like, tiny mechanic, like, climbing a rope, and the game will fucking stop, pull up a, like, if you want to climb a rope, you can drag your finger up the rope, and, and Nathan Drake will climb it, or you can use the left analog stick to climb the rope. And it's like, I'll just, I'll do that. I'll just use that to climb the fucking rope. but it's like, if you want to climb up a rock wall, you can use your finger to drag a path up the rock wall, or you can use the left analog stick, I played Uncharted on the consoles, and it's great because they replicate all the stuff you need to control Uncharted on a PS3 on the Vita with normal fucking control. So you can completely ignore all of that, but every fucking time a new mechanic gets introduced, they, like, shove it in your face. It's like, if you're aiming, you could use the right analog stick, or you could tilt the Vita like you're a fucking moron and try to aim like that. It's like, no, I don't want to look like a complete fucking idiot while I'm playing my video game, thank you very much. Um, I'll just use the stick. I'm, it's really good to hear, though, that you you, you are not... Yeah, you can, to you the can ignore it. The only part that's really annoying is uh, some of the menus, like, like, options and stuff you have to use the touchscreen for, which isn't, like, a big deal, but I wish you didn't have to do it because it's, like, you know, there's a great option on, like, just, like, the base, like, main Vita interface that you can just turn on to be able to operate that stuff without touching the touchscreen at all. That was the fucking first option I turned on because... I don't think you need it. Like, I don't think touchscreens are faster than just using the fucking D-pad at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's, like, the only minor thing, but that's, like, the so minor, and most people probably won't notice it because I think most people would use the touchscreen for that stuff anyways, but... Right.
0: So, um... It's also worth mentioning that the Vita had a firmware update this week. Yeah,
1: that's true. Yes, and just uh, has a c- folders. Uh, folders are really nice. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Now I have all my like, you know, like my old Final Fantasy games just on one folder that I all bought in that sale that I barely played yet.
0: Yeah, I, I, had, they I did don't that. Clutter up an entire screen. I did that too because I bought so many they were cluttering up two screens. <laughs> so it was nice to get those all down to one folder. Uh, the one thing I wish is that I wish you could put a separate like wallpaper image on the different folders. Because now I have my, I, think about that. I specifically put Final Fantasy wallpapers on my Final Fantasy screens, and now they're not on specific Final Fantasy screens. Which is just a little thing. Yeah. It would be cool if I like opened up my Final Fantasy folder. There's,
1: you know, the hot picture of Lightning I have. So yeah, and for me, I have like a, another like completely weird thing where I had f- set up everything to have four screens on my Vita. I had my Persona games screen, which has like four bubbles on it. So it's like, guy, just like. I even use that screen, but I'm like, I want all my Persona games, like, on my home, like, the main screen when I start it up is just all my Persona games, and that's it. And then down is all my other games, which now just includes my Final Fantasy folder, which is nice. Then below that is, like, some of the, like, peripheral, like, options, like, just random settings, like, internet browser, stuff that I'm not usually going to use, but if I do need to use it, it's on my third one. And then my fourth screen is just all the other shit that I'm never going to use, and I just, like, threw it all on there. I picked out different wallpapers for all those different screens and now I don't want to condense my like bullshit screen into like one thing because then there's, I can't justify having that extra screen with that wallpaper and I like having that there. Like it's the dumbest little fucking. There's no reason for me to do that, but it's like I got so fond of it now. That's like I know. I and want that. I want that little like wallpaper there. Luckily, all the
0: bullshit stuff that I was never going to use, like the you know email on your Vita. Yeah. Um, I had that on a fifth screen that had no wallpaper. I had wall screen, wallpapers for my other four, so I was okay. I just threw that shit in a folder, put it on the fourth screen, and I was good to go. Yeah. So, in any case, this is an inordinately long discussion about yeah, folders yeah. on the PlayStation Vita. So, but anyways, you want to try
1: to golden the base? Pretty okay. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to going back to it, because yeah. I, I was surprised by it. it. felt like an Uncharted game, and I don't actually love the Uncharted games, but I still think they're damn good games, so I'm looking forward to getting more into that later. Well, hopefully we can hear more about it next week. Yeah. Alright, so, Sean, there were some movie trailers this week. Yes, yes, there were. But you know
0: what? None of them matter, because the main movie trailer that came out this week... Was for Man of Steel, yeah, and it was the greatest fucking thing humanity has ever
1: created, ever. I think that might be a bit of an exaggeration. That's Persona Three, but okay, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it was. That's kind of the emotion you
0: have while watching. It is
1: a fucking awesome trailer. That is for sure. Yes, and I, it
0: has united the entire internet behind it too. Like, I can't yeah. find any negative. It's like, no,
1: that is like the Superman trailer to end all Superman trailers. Yeah, like, the most negative comment I've ever seen, and I've seen a few of these are, I, like, this trailer may not be indicative of the quality of the movie, but this is a fucking awesome trailer. Yeah, yeah. like Like, it's always like, a, I don't want to be duped by this trailer, but this trailer is fucking great. I, and
0: here's, let's address that right up front. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that this trailer is, is completely duping
1: us? I don't think so. Like, okay. it's, because all the sort of marketing, like, I haven't been able to see, like, any chinks in the armor of, like, you're clearly hiding something. Like, I think, with most stuff, even if it's a really awesome trailer, you can usually tell whether or not it's actually going to be a pretty good movie. But I think, like, all the... Everything in these trailers looks so good, and, like, all the interviews with the cast and with Zack Snyder and just everybody, like, involved with this movie, they seem so passionate about it, and they seem to have such a clear understanding. You know, it, they used Lord of the Rings movie in the first teaser, so... Or music in the first teaser, so... I'm on board, yeah. I think, I think... Then you know, Man of Steel might not be the greatest movie ever. It might just be a good movie. And, like, this trailer, like, shows this could be the greatest movie ever because that's how fucking great the trailer is. But, you know, like, keep your expectations in line for that. But I don't think this, like, the movie's going to be bad by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, I think worst case scenario is this is going to be, like, you know, Dark Knight Rises where
1: it's very, very, very good. Yeah. But maybe... Yeah, but it has some clear flaws.
0: Yeah. And, and, and...
1: there's, like, one character who's, like, not Superboy... But he's like he's basically Superboy, and at the end of the movie, he's like, no, it's like my name's like John Hughes, but I'm Superboy.
0: <laughs> anyway, but and here's the other thing I'll say is that the marketing strategy they've been using for Man of Steel is incredibly similar to the Dark Knight movies, and yeah. I don't think that's just because of the Christopher Nolan connection. I think it's because Warner clearly knows they have something yeah. special, and so even in this trailer shows a lot of stuff we have not seen before. We're finally seeing Zod. We're finally seeing some action. We yeah. get to hear Henry
1: Cavill say some words, you yeah. know. If we get some Lois Lane.
0: Yeah. But it's still hiding most stuff. It's not giving anything yeah. big away, and that's how all the Dark Knight trailers were and they were just so confident and they were confident with a purpose because those are great movies. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing I'm seeing here. Is the con- when uh, my favorite thing to see in marketing is confidence. And confidence is different then showing us your whole story in the trailer. Yeah, that was
1: one of my favorite things about the trailer, was that it wasn't like this. After I saw the trailer, I feel like I've watched that entire fucking movie. And like, like there trailers. was one... What was that trailer that was before Evil Dead for the movie? Oh, where, it's called uh, The Purge. Yeah, The Purge. Like, that's like a great example where i watched that trailer before Evil Dead, and I'm like, I've seen that fucking... Like, I feel like I physically sat here for two and a half hours and watched that fucking movie.
0: Yeah. And Man of Steel is not that way at all. It's yeah. just, it's like... God damn it, I wish I had a time machine and could just go and see this movie right now. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what makes it great. Um, just a general outline of this trailer is, because it's also, it's over three minutes, and I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah, it's a long trailer, which is why it's so impressive
1: that it doesn't give anything away, because yeah. like it's really smartly edited, I feel.
0: Yeah. But we see a little bit on Krypton. We hear a lot of Jor-El. Yeah. He, you know, same story as always, he's sending Kal-El to Earth. And uh, we see some with, you know, there's obviously going to be that kind of that familiar yeah. Superman arc of him coming to terms with himself.
1: But the way they're doing it here looks very emotional and very honest. Yeah, and I like how it seems like they are, like, spreading that out into his adulthood. That it's not just, like, you know, he's Superman by the time he's a, he's a full adult. Like, he has to, he's, you know, clearly, like, it seems like a big portion of this movie will be spent with bearded-up Clark Kent. Yeah. Like, going around having, like, we're not wearing his shirt, and being really, like, hairy-chested and, like, trying to figure out, you know, who, who the fuck am I? Am I Superman or am I dude on Deadliest Catch? Like, who am I? <laughs>
0: and, and while that, those are funny comparisons to make, I think that's exactly what... Yeah. The, the, the whole premise behind this is, you know, what if Superman actually came to Earth as it exists and that's what would happen you know yeah. he he wouldn't just you know get hit puberty and be like all right i'm going to go off to the fortress of solitude dad yeah it would be something i think a lot more introspective and i like that and i like the hints we're seeing of henry cavill's performance yeah and i also like the idea cuz i i don't think we ever got to see anything like this in the other superman movies i like that we're going to get to see superman out of the costume doing some
1: act you know superhero yeah yeah that it seems like that's part of one of his things is that in Smallville, he kind of gets found out a little bit. And so yeah. he... Like, I like there's a little bit of a hint in the early parts of the trailer with Lois Lane's voiceover of, like, there is this sort of myth of this dude who's has, like, who's super strong and go around and helps people, but then leaves with, like, out do you trace? Like, I like that idea of there is this idea that there is this Superman kind of guy out there before Superman actually pops up at Lois Lane trying to, like, find him out. Like, weird, like, cultural myth.
0: Yeah, let's jump to that. I love that their interpretation of Lois that they're going to be doing here is that she's not just a reporter who Clark meets, she's looking for Superman. Yeah. I think that's really smart because I think, I think they did a great job with Lois in the Richard Donner movies. It's one of the best superhero girlfriends ever, but they've already done that, and they've done that well. So go in a different direction. You've got Amy Adams really project that intelligence and that drive to find her, to, to find him. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see what their relationship is going to be in this movie, because it doesn't, I don't think they are going to be bound to doing the traditional thing. Well, yeah, I
1: hope there's not too much focus on, like, the romance side of it, honestly. Like, I hope, like, you know, don't, get yeah, because that was, felt like that was the main part of the original Superman movie, with Superman and Lost Lane. Yeah. But I hope, like like, that element has to kind of be there, but I hope they don't focus on it.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think what it is here is that it's not... I don't think, at, at the very least, they'll be focusing on the Clark-Superman split in relation to Lois, you yeah. know? Because I think, again, they've done that well in the past. This is a really interesting direction. But going back to the stuff with his dual father figures, yeah. that's kind of been the marketing point so far, is having the dual voiceovers by Kevin Costner and Russell Crowe. Yeah. And f- both of those actors just really sold me in this trailer. Russell Crowe in particular... I just I I was not able to quite see him as JorEl before for whatever reason. Yeah. I really can now. He's projecting that sort of incredible intelligence and sort of benevolence, and just the dialogue as written is very good for him. Yeah, yeah. It's some really good stuff. And then Kevin Costner has this one scene where I've I've heard about lots of people kind of choking up at this scene just from like the one line in the trailer, and I'll admit I kind of did too. Where he's talking, he's like he's he's explaining to his son, "You're an alien." Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, so what if I'm not your son? It's like, of course you're my son. It's like, that's Kevin Costner, man. He's yeah. he's, he's a good actor. I'm yeah. really yeah.
1: glad to see him here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see how they handle the Mod Pod Kent stuff. Yeah. Like, Yeah. I definitely feel like
0: part of the arc of this movie could be that, as we know, Jonathan Kent tends to die. Yeah, he's a super Donner. Yeah, yeah, stuff. And if they do that here, that could explain part of why he, as an adult, is wandering the way he is. You know, yeah, and I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting, and and definitely honing in on this idea of an alien on Earth and where his identity lies. But anyway, we see the stuff with Lois. We we basically are hearing these myths, and then the trailer just explodes yeah. into just action awesomeness. And it's we never see like a glimpse of a full action scene. We're just like little snippets here and there. Yeah, but it looks like they spent all the money on this movie because some of those effect shots are just
1: like. Jesus, there's a ton going on in these images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely you know, like exactly what we've wanted from a modern Superman movie, is, or just from any Superman movie, but now we can actually do it, is Superman action scenes, because the Richard Donner movies are awesome, but the action is just isn't there because they couldn't possibly do it with no. how powerful Superman is, and so like having just the little. And I like that there are only little hints. Like you, like you said, you don't have like there's not this like one long big sweeping like thirty second shot of like you just seeing a full basic it, like action moment,
0: like in the Avengers when they yeah. they spoiled the end of the movie in the trailer with yeah. Hulk rescuing Iron Man. You yeah. don't get that. Mm-hmm. But we do get Superman flying and looking really super as he's doing it. Like, nothing could move like that. Yeah. The, the punches he's delivering and the amount of shit he's navigating. Like, it looks like, also I like the suggestion, Zod isn't just coming alone and looking for Superman. He's yeah, bringing yeah, shit with him. it
1: seems like he's either got an army of, like, other Kryptonians with him or, like, just aliens or something Yeah. come to find kal
0: Yes. So let's talk about uh, Zod. Uh, Michael Shannon who I've been very excited to see a glimpse of because he is a great actor and he is bringing the crazy
1: man. Yeah, like he only gets I think like one line but it's like the super villain like I'm crazy. Going I like. will find him. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what his line is. Yeah. It is, yep. It's it's, it's oh, that's like the the like powerful villain moment in every trailer. It's it's well it's well represented here. Yes. I, I like it. Yeah.
0: It looks good and I like that also Zod isn't just going to be someone who gets stuck in the Phantom Zone and hits Earth by accident. (laughs) It's that he's... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's he's trying to find Kal-El. Yeah, Yeah, that works. That works really well.
1: And I think it sounds like... It just feels like there's going to be a very tight arc to the movie. Yeah, like, I'm curious. It seems like they're probably going to want to try to tie Zod somehow into the destruction of Krypton. Like, I imagine that's going to... Or, like, have some sort of, like, feud between Jor-El and Zod. Something Mm -hmm. like that, I imagine, will be in the movie.
0: Yeah. So it looks really interesting. Um... And in probably the best scene of the trailer, just a a, a nice simple dialogue moment, we see that Superman surrenders himself for arrest. Yeah, and Lois Lane is the one brought in to interrogate him, and he explains about the S on his chest. But yeah, yeah, it's
1: it's like this is something that sort of modern Superman stuff does a lot that the S tends to be a uh, it doesn't stand for Superman because. That's super fucking hokey and really egotistical, right? It's <laughs> like, I'm just gonna wear a big fat fucking S because God, I'm motherfucking Superman. It doesn't seem like something Superman would do. And usually they'd say that the S is, uh, it is the symbol of the House of L on Krypton, which, you know, I think that's what the current explanation in the new 52. And this, they're saying that that S symbol on Krypton means hope. And I really like that because yeah. that's what Superman is, that's what he represents in the DC Trinity. So, yeah, I like that. And that little conversation, I think, is was my favorite part of the trailer by far. Me too. It, sh- it was the most you got to see of Henry Cavill's performance as Superman, like, in the costume and everything. And he fucking nails it. Like, I like... Yeah. It feels like he's read All-Star Superman, because that's what he feels like to me. Like, he feels like... he's Like, he is extremely respectful of humans, but he's also very relaxed, because he knows nobody can do shit against me because I'm fucking Superman. But it's like, he's not being arrogant about it, but it's like, he doesn't have to be really tense. He's not on edge. He's not fucking Batman, like, growling and yelling at people. He's like, I'm here. I'm letting you talk to me. I've like, I'm to have, you know, you want me under arrest. I will allow myself to be under arrest and we can have this conversation. It's like, I'm fucking Superman. Like, if I wanted to leave, I could. And it looks like he probably does at the end of that scene because yeah. you know, something. but
0: Yeah. Probably he's got a good reason. Yeah. And and I think that's a great way to put it. I couldn't quite put into words what I love about his performance there, but I do think there's just this relaxed naturalism of he feels like he is Superman. Yeah. And he's obviously doing something very different than Christopher Reeve did, Yeah, but that's kind of what Christopher Reeve always nailed, was this just, he was so relaxed in the part. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you need. And I think that's maybe something that Brandon Routh and Superman Returns, he was okay in that movie, but that I think that sense of relaxed, like, I am
1: Superman was Yeah, not and, like, in the, like the weird sense of him being very humble, even though he's Superman. Like, I guess that's how I would feel about it. It's like, yeah. he's fucking Superman, but it's like, he doesn't act like he's a god or anything, and that's and it creates this really interesting contrast when he, like, fucking flies down right in front of you with red tights on. It's like, hey, man, what's up? Yeah. Yo, I'm Superman. <laughs> you want to rap for a second, dog? It's not like that. But. Okay, that would be a weird Superman movie. Anyway, the, someone probably wrote him like that in like the nineties. Probably know. the when Tim he had Burton movie on. Yeah, that, that Nicholas Cage would have been saying
0: all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you? Let's just stop for a moment and think about like, what if we had gotten like the? No, Nicolas- let's not. <laughs> let's just
1: let's move on. <laughs> yeah, like nobody would ever think to give Tim Burton the Superman movie and then cast Nicholas Cage as Clark Kent. Pfft, that'd be crazy.
0: Anyway, but other thing I want to say about this Man of Steel trailer is I believe that is the Hans Zimmer original score propelling it. Yeah, yeah. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's a good sounding score. I was, I've was, i been really interested to hear that because obviously Hans Zimmer has the challenge of all challenges in that they are yeah. not using any John Williams music and that's going to be tough because that is as much a fabric of the Superman iconography as anything else at this point. Yeah, yeah, that main Superman theme is yeah. one of the things you think of when you think of Superman. And but I agree with them that if they're going to start fresh, that means starting fresh. That does yeah. not mean incorporating other stuff from former versions. And it really sounds like he's made stuff without going to just a major central theme so far. Found music that really evokes Superman, and and it man, it moves this trailer forward.
1: Yeah, in just an awesome way. And you know, like if if his score really works well, maybe that have him do the score for the new Star Wars movies. Just like someone needs to do it and. John Williams might not want to, so... Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I, I, we're I, in a weird era where it's like, John Williams probably is not going to want to score a lot of these movies anymore. It's like, we need to we need to find someone else to do it, Goddamn! I, I think for
0: Star Wars 7 and beyond, that will be Michael Cicchino, and okay. that would be the best choice, because he sounds... His style is very similar to Williams, and he's very good at remixing other people's music like that. Uh, and he works with J.J. Abrams a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. Hans Zimmer doing Star Wars could work. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... I think I am. This is the movie I am most excited for now this
1: summer. And yeah, I think I mean, this has been the one I've been most excited for for a while, just because, like, I I just want to see a really good Superman movie, like, yeah. like that does Superman as he needs to be done nowadays,
0: right? And I and I think it's also worth noting that it's 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 weird to say this is not a sequel because it's it kind of is it is, but yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. not. It's, it's a fresh yeah. start for Superman, and I think while well, it is an established franchise, it's one of the only big movies coming out this summer that is not. Part two of something. Yeah, yeah. Or part three. And while I am insanely excited for Iron Man Three and Star Trek Into the Darkness and all that, you know, I've I've seen some of that before. Mm-hmm. I've not seen this before because yeah. there's never been a real Superman movie in the sense of really taking advantage of who Superman is and what he can do. And I'm I, I'm really interested in this. And I also want to talk about the visual style. I think we've both been we like Zack Snyder as a director, okay. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think his visual style, as he's shown so far, would work perfectly with Superman. Yeah, and especially
1: sort of like the slow motion speed up, like that really sort of like frenetic type yeah. of action, I guess. And he's clearly not doing that here. Yeah. yeah. Unless there's, there's, there's no hint of slow motion in the trailer. No. It's em- like it feels like, if this was say like normal right. Snacks, like most Zack Snyder trailers, that's fucking everywhere. Yeah. So. Yeah, you would not be able to cut around it. Yeah.
0: And so, I think that's interesting. I think... Uh, just the general way he's framing things and doing it. There are some beautiful compositions in here, yeah. and I think they're a lot calmer, and they're they're just really good. I think he, he has a very visu- uh, interesting visual style in Watchmen, which I really liked. Um, but he regressed very much in Sucker Punch, which is a piece of shit, one of the worst movies ever made, and I think this will be a nice redemption for him. Yeah. So I'm,
1: I'm very excited for this. Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, like, it's something where I have to admit that one of the reasons why I want Man of Steel to succeed so much is because Batman's too fucking popular right now. I agree. We need to get like the original fucking superhero to knock him down a peg because the like thing Batman's getting a little too big for his britches. Like goddamn, he's got like fucking ten ongoing series of comics at DC. It's like you know, let's have the boy in blue. You know, let's let's have him pop up and be like. You know, he's fucking Superman. Yeah. Superman's fucking cool. And I am goddamn tired of people not uh, pretending that they don't think Superman. Because everyone thinks Superman okay. is fucking cool. Everybody loves Superman, but nobody wants to admit because, oh, he's so unrelatable. Oh, he's an alien. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. Superman's awesome. Man of Steel's going to be awesome. And so hopefully, like, that would be like, everyone can be like, yes, Superman's great. Like, we knew he was great back in the fucking 70s. Yes. Um, are you, <laughs> do you want to just go
0: ahead and give your full rant on the most recent Superman v. Batman poll?
1: Yeah, it was just something where the, uh, DC recently released, oh, they got, not DC, they had, obviously didn't make the game, but, uh, Never Realms, the Mortal Kombat guys, made a DC fighting game called Injustice Gods Among Us, the worst name for a DC fighting game ever, because it doesn't invoke DC fighting at all, but, uh, they, with, for to promote the game that came out last week, they had, a sort of a poll that everybody could vote on of like this tournament it was actually kind of cool because you could see the fights after they were out of like who do, who will win in this like tournament against the battle of the dc superheroes it's like you you know who's going to win against green arrow or wonder woman it's wonder woman or who's going to win against bottle blah, blah, blah. and then eventually obviously it came down to superman and batman and that is the only one i bothered to vote for i did vote for superman because fucking superman would win oh my god, Superman would win in a fight. Like, we we went over this when we reviewed the uh, Dark Knight Returns yeah, Movie? Dark Knight Returns movies. It's where, the, you know, that's the most famous example of a Batman-Superman fight. Because, you know, Batman does not really win. He fakes his own death in the middle of the fight. And then Superman just decides not to bring Batman in because Bat- Superman fucking figures it out at the funeral, too. So it's like, Batman does not win that fight, but that's the one that everyone brings up, everyone brings up, like, Hush, where Superman gets temporarily mind-controlled by Poison Ivy, and Batman does not beat Superman in that story either. Superman would fucking kill Batman if he hadn't been fighting mind-control. And all this bullshit, everyone thinks, like, everyone wants to say, Batman will win. So everybody voted, Batman won the competition. Fucking bullshit. The dumbest fucking, just, I hate it. I hate it so much. Because even if you, and I can totally understand if you like Batman more, I probably like Batman a little bit more than Superman. I've certainly read more Batman comics. But... Superman would win in a fight. Like, let's be fucking real here. Superman is Superman. Batman is a dude with a lot of money with ninja training. Superman's a fucking god. Batman can't even touch him. Batman can't even get close to touching him. Superman could literally blow up the goddamn earth if he wanted to, to beat Batman. Batman can't do anything against that. Superman would win.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright. Um, so while we're at it, do you want to settle the eternal debate Superman versus Goku? Oh,
1: there was I thought that there it was, was like a video. It was I really liked that fan made video. I thought it was really well done for what it was. Like, it,
0: wasn't, it, wasn't it was it wasn't fan made. It was Screw Attack.
1: Well, Screw Attack. I mean, okay. i yeah. consider to that fan made. Okay. Like I'm just, it's not like you know fucking like Funimation and no, 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 Seed no. got together or anything. Oh yeah,
0: Funimation wouldn't know anyway. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, that, that was a good analysis, although, okay, now, Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods has come out. D- Goku has attained godhood. Could he defeat
1: Superman then? <sighs> Superman, Superman, dude. Like, I still, I mean, I think it would be a really close fight, but I still could basically agree with what that video the, the, I came out with. It's like... Goku's awesome, and what is awesome about Goku is that he becomes stronger and stronger and keeps overcoming his limits, and that's what's great about Goku, and it's like, Superman doesn't necessarily have that element, I mean, he does, but not in the same way, it's not like, emphasized in the way it is with Goku, but Superman's fucking Superman, like, if you really look at how powerful Superman is, especially when he takes advantage of, like, the yellow sun, if, like, they're up in space, Superman would fucking defeat almost anything, no, and I, I agree. Like, you know, I just... Superman's beaten Darkseid multiple times. Darkseid is literally a god. Goku couldn't beat a god in that movie, from what I've heard. So. Yeah, no, he loses the fight. So there um, we go. Yeah. Superman would win. Okay, that's fine. Alright, so, Superman versus... No, I'm just
0: kidding. Okay, Wait. so... But, Goku would also beat the ever-living shit out of Batman. Yes, so... And I think now we need Superman versus Goku versus Batman. <laughs> three-way fight where Batman gets just knocked out. Yeah, yeah, like,
1: like, one second into the fight, like, Superman Goku immediately go at it, and the shockwave of the first punch, of, like, vaporizes Batman. It's like, <laughs> there, done. We can prove once and for all, Batman's cool, Batman would lose in the fight. Like, let's be honest let's be And then to we here. can have a really cool,
0: relatively equal fight between Superman and Goku, yeah. where Superman would probably win. Yeah. Alright, so, I like this. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... Vegeta could be there, too, and he would also get knocked on his ass, and then he would cry in a corner for, like, the rest of the fight. Yeah. Like in Dragon Ball Z movie 8. Sure. All right. Okay,
1: let's move on. Let's get past this. This this conversation is getting weird. This conversation is getting... We have gone down a nerd hole, and I don't know if
0: we can crawl back out of it. Well, I mean,
1: we're we're moving on to the Star Trek Into Darkness trailer. So, no, we're not crawling out of it, because what if Superman had to fight the Enterprise? I think Superman could tear through it like yeah I mean I yes but but if Kirk was piloting the okay. Enterprise K- Superman Kirk seduces Superman
0: Superman versus the Borg Cube
1: oh, that's not fucking okay. that's nothing because okay. the Borg Cube is also villainous so like Superman gets hero powers he automatically wins at least like Superman versus the Enterprise they're both like protagonist status so okay. the real clash there
0: alright next movie trailer we are going to talk about is Star Trek Into Darkness y'all I feel like I have to say it's stupid because the title's dumb. Yeah, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes. So, Star Trek Two, new film, J.J. Abrams, Enterprise, blowing shit up and taking names... A uh, new trailer came out this week. Oh, this was apparently not
1: taking names, because do we know what Benedict Cumberbatch is? John Harrison. Standing? Okay, so we do. So yeah, there is some taking names going on. Here's the thing. I didn't realize we have
0: We have known Benedict Cumberbatch's name in the movie for like half a year now. But people and, are still saying he's con. which yeah. why I
1: didn't think they And
0: fucking stupid-ass news sites are still doing that too. It's like, oh, well they released an official name, and you actually hear him called that at one point in one of the, like TV spots, but fuck it, that's not his name.
1: Yeah, he's he's got to. clearly conned. Even though he's not, you know... Latino or anything? I'm yeah, like... yeah. He's he's not con. Yeah, like they, I would would not be surprised if they maybe pulled in some like of the eugenics stuff and like kind of made him con in that sense. But he's not con. No, like yeah, that's it's dumb.
0: Yeah. So, what, do you think maybe like he'll have a code name that's like K H A N and it stands for like covert something something? <laughs> covert, it like it's
1: like Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Yeah. We right. can only hope that way it'll be the dumbest reference since Robin in Dark Knight Rises. So.
0: Okay, so Star Trek in the Darkness. This is the final trailer, of presumably. Um, ten... I, mean, I mean, it's been so many fucking. I feel like I've seen so much from this movie, um, but I, I think we've seen a lot. But I still feel like we haven't seen anything all that substantive. So I'm still yeah, really.
1: Sure. It's, they've all been very, very action heavy,
0: and this was. And this was very action-heavy, too, but this is my favorite trailer so far because it it has some good character stuff in it, like specifically going back to the Captain Pike, Captain Kirk, I guess he's Admiral now, Admiral-Pike, Captain Kirk relationship here, which was kind of the center point of the marketing for the first film, and it's really great in that movie, too. I really like that. There's some good stuff there. Bruce Greenwood, really good. Yeah. And I I just like the hints here that Kirk's ego is going to get the better of him, and I think while a lot of the Star Trek Into Darkness stuff so far does not feel Star Trekky to me, that does feel like what young Kirk would be like. Yeah, yeah, like very brash, like yeah. very
1: full of himself, very not Superman.
0: Well, especially if... <sighs> fucking... Anyway, if you were to give Kirk at that age command of the Enterprise, which in the, you know, real timeline, he would not get until much later in life, yeah. when he's, you know, really mature enough to have it. Yeah, when, when you would actually give someone fucking control, control. of a ship. Right. So what would that Kirk be like? And I think that's an interesting thing to explore for this movie, and I'm really excited for that edge. And this trailer makes me more excited for the film than I think I have been so far, because it really does feel like they are doing... They're going to do some interesting character
1: stuff here. It feels like the threat is very big. Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the most excited I am. Like, part of the movie I am. It's like, I want to see Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie, because he looks like a fucking awesome villain.
0: Yeah. So... Just, it looks like this is a summer of good villains. Yeah, yeah. i got Ben Kingsley being the Mandarin. That should be good.
1: Um, And a little racist. You know, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Well, <laughs> you know, Michael Shannon's not a Kryptonian, so that's, that's pretty racist, too, honestly, if you get down to it. Like, literally racist. <laughs> All right. Anyway, anything else to say about this Star Trek Into Darkness trailer? It's like I'm, you know, like I am still really excited for this movie. Like, I'm at a point of, like, I'm going to watch this movie that like none of the marketing really affects how I feel about that's it. That's exactly where I, I am. It's like, like, like I've seen. I feel like I've seen so much. That's like past the first trailer. Like whatever. Like because I felt like none of the trailers have been hugely different from one another. Not in the no. way like the Man of Steel stuff feels like. Every time I see something new from Man of Steel, I'm like, oh, like I feel like there's something new being revealed here that I'm like latching onto. It's like that's a really great moment. Like all this stuff feels like this is a movie trailer. I want to see this movie.
0: Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I, I just like seeing some of the hints of the other characters. Looks like the Uhura-Spock relationship will be yeah. continuing.
1: Yeah. I had completely... This, but I have not seen Star Trek since the, the Star Trek 2009, since I watched it in the theater. I'll probably have to re-watch that before I go see this one. I completely forgot that that was in that movie, and I was like, oh yeah, that was really dumb. Why did they do that?
0: Yeah, I, I had kind of forgotten too, and I've seen that movie like ten times. I've watched that movie a bunch. But anyway, so really excited for this. Should be good. Uh, one thing I think is odd about the trailer is that it doesn't use any of the Michael Giacchino score. It's very generic movie trailer yeah. music, and that score is wonderful, and it's really iconic now, the stuff Michael Giacchino did. So I would, if I were them, I would have put some of that in there just because I think people like the Enterprise themes he wrote
1: yeah. and some of that stuff. So
0: that's a little weird, but otherwise, looks good. Looks like we will have plenty of lens flares.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's It will be a sequel to Star Trek. So. Yes. All right.
0: A Star Trek into darkness. Oh, God, that fucking name. Will not affect the quality of the movie at all, but that name
1: is awful. So dumb. And it makes you really curious, you know, if this one does really well and they make it that... I mean, I'm sure they're probably going to make another Star Trek movie after this. What the fuck are they going to name it? Star Trek in three darkness! Because you can't... I mean, you could, but you can't go back. Like, you can't all of a sudden call this one Star Trek Three. Like, I think they'll just have another subtitle. But I heard but a- this didn't. No, not another subtitle. Because
0: this isn't a subtitle. That's Subtitles a- require one key thing: a motherfucking colon. And, that's and this a- has no colon. And that's a great point because we were talking about it the other day. I read an interview with Damon Lindelof, who was one of the co-writers and producers on this film, and he explained that part of why they chose this title was because they looked at a bunch of different titles and they realized they shouldn't have a traditional subtitle with a colon because, and I quote, the colon represents everything people hate about Star Trek. Sean, try to tell me what that means. I, uh... <laughs> I don't know. I don't... I... Ah. Uh, because, no. Okay, is... No! The, let's put it this way, Sean. Is the problem with Star Trek V, colon, at the final frontier, the colon? No!
1: <laughs> or is it that the movie is a terrible... Yeah, it's... <laughs> And it's like, like, what kind of weird, obsessive psychotics does he think Star Trek fans are that they're like, colons are what brought Star Trek down. It wasn't like, yeah, like the odd-numbered Star Trek movies that are shit, or like Star Trek Enterprise, which is shit. Like, that's not... Like, it's the colons, obviously. Fucking colons all over those movies, except for the first one, because there's no place to put a colon in that one. Yeah, so it's just... It's weird. It's just a weird reasoning. So weird. And you know, if they wanted to, like, have it, like, like not be called, you know, you don't have to call Star Trek Into Darkness. If they don't want to incorporate Star Trek that prominently into the title and want to have what would effectively be a subtitle, but a subtitle that's strong enough to stand on their on its own, they could do that. Like, you know, like I generally don't call Star Trek Two Star Trek Two. I call it The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, think of it that way. Like that. The Wrath of Khan could have been the title of that movie, but obviously it's a sequel to the original Star Trek movie, and it's a Star Trek movie, so you want to have Star Trek somewhere in there. Yeah. So it's like, if they wanted to do that, that'd be fine, but, like, Star Trek Into Darkness is dumb. It's really fucking dumb. Okay, so I've got some suggestions. Okay. Now, we've
0: already talked about there could be the best title they could ever do for a Star Trek movie on Unexpected Star Trek. Yes,
1: actually, okay. yeah. So, you know, riding off the hype of the first Hobbit movie in Unexpected Journey.
0: Yes. So, um, that's probably what 3 is going to be named. Hopefully. We can only help. But, I mean, there's some other dumb titles they could rip off. Star Trek Rises... <laughs> the return of Star Trek yeah <laughs> like that's what they should have called the, the first one yeah um, let's see we could also do something where they take Star Trek out of it entirely like Batman Begins to Dark Knight yeah and they just call it like you know the big ship I don't know what the fuck that title would be just being. call it
1: Enterprise that actually worked that would work you yeah. could do that they should have just called this one Benedict Cumberbatch looks fucking awesome the movie <laughs> or, no not the movie the motion picture because it has to have some class
0: yeah that's, that's one of my favorite things about the first Star Trek movie. Just calling it the motion picture. Yeah. And that nothing else... Like That was kind of a thing back then, was to call it the motion picture. I wish we still used that phrase. Yeah, I love I that agree. phrase. I still... When I, when I write reviews, I will often call movies pictures. Because I think it's a yeah. good word for them. Because they're, they're just a bunch of pictures. Yeah. So, anyway. But, yeah. Uh, they could I, Or they just go the, like, Fast and Furious 6 route. Fuck it. We're done. And they call it Star Trek 13. <laughs> the next
1: one <laughs> no star 13 just cut the trek out of it it's too much that's what's holding star trek down that's what everybody hates about star trek is the trek part they just want stars goddamn it we don't need this trekking bullshit star five the fifth star trek movie i mean again because we've already had a fifth star trek movie wait, wait, wait which one's the what do you mean the fifth i don't know because we have, something has to be called like i wanted to be the fifth one okay be star five okay so Star Four and Star Three sounds dumb. Okay, so it'll be we'll go
0: we'll go Star Trek Star Trek in the Darkness an unexpected Star Trek Star Trek Rises and then Star
1: Five. Yeah, and then after that, I don't know. Okay, after that start stop making Star Trek. Movies. After that rebooted again. After that they just use a, a symbol. It's the series formerly known as Star <laughs> Trek. Yeah, it's they just use like the Federation symbol. Yeah, and then like a number next to it so you know which one it is. Yeah. All right, and then, and then once that's all done with, like the tenth one is just called Kirk. Okay, and that's it. Then they stop making it.
0: Oh, I thought they would go on one more and do Sulu and bring George Takei back
1: and just let him do like Sulu as an old man, just you know, be an awesome. And and, and with that one, they go back to the original series timeline and like pretend that the new one doesn't even exist, just to piss off all the th- new fans of the new series. Speaking of
0: which, we're recording this on April twentieth. Uh, yeah. A couple days before it comes out, and this is George Takei's birthday. Oh, happy he's... Happy birthday, George Takei! Yeah. You are awesome, and you make me laugh all the time on on the internet. You're awesome. All right. Yeah. They should. They should, it would be. Wouldn't it be great if they did the same thing in one of the Star Trek sequels that they did with Leonard Nimoy in one, but it was for Sulu? I
1: mean, they should do that for all. That's what they should do for all the movies is just like roll in old cast members.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, but you couldn't do DeForest Kelly. so that's. And you couldn't do Scotty. That. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Alright, never mind, this is sad. Yeah, let's move on. Alright, next and like, final... So, well, we need to move through these trailers faster. Our conversations are getting fucking weird. Okay, <laughs> final... Okay, I... we can't do this with this one. I know, <laughs> there's no way. Okay, final trailer we have to talk about is for
0: uh, the, the debut trailer for The Hunger Games 2, the Squeakquel. It's actually called The Hunger Games Catching Fire based on the second book in the series, as I understand it. Um... I, watched I hope it's based on the second one. the yeah. weird if it's based on the third. Yeah, they just skip, or they did. It's based on the first one again. It's yeah. a remake. No. Um, what's it? so? So um, let's just talk a little bit. I, I watched this trailer because obviously I've seen the first Hunger Games. I really liked it. I thought it was a very impressive movie. I wanted to see what the direction of the sequel was going in. You have not seen the Hunger Games.
1: Yeah, this is really weird because you were talking to me about like what we we're going to talk on the podcast, and you're like you were mentioning trailers, and then you said the the Hunger Games two were Catching Fire trailer. And I was like, oh, I've seen that, and you had this kind of shocked look on your face because I have not seen. I live. I know about as little about the Hunger Games as you possibly could. Like the only things I know about are talking to you because you you did like the whole thing where it's obviously very similar to Battle Royale and all that stuff. So I know all of that. Yeah, I got death threats. Yeah, yes, yeah. and so this is like. I know about that part of it, and there's the only part of The Hunger Games I know is that it's about kids fighting each other, and that in the original movie, it's not nearly as violent as it probably should be, because they cut away from it. That's all I know. I haven't even, okay, I've probably seen a trailer for the original Hunger Games movie in the theaters, but I barely even remember it. But, I was on Reddit one day when this trailer came out, and the post on Reddit for the trailer said the name Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. I fucking love Philip Seymour Hoffman, so I was like... I'll watch, like, I had nothing else to do, so I was like, I'll watch a two-minute video that has some, like, 15 seconds of Philip Seymour Hoffman. you were more than 15 seconds of Philip Seymour Hoffman, so I was pretty happy. He was kind of like yeah. the glue holding it together. Yeah, yeah, he really was. Like, there was a lot more, like, emphasis on Philip Seymour Hoffman than I was expecting out of a Hunger Games movie. Yeah. So I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. And then I was also like... I, this looked nothing like I expected anything to do with Hunger Games. Like, I didn't think Hunger Games had, like, this weird pseudo, like, clockwork, orangey, dystopian, like, government overriding the fucking people type thing. Like, the press. And it's like, what the fuck? This is, like, I saw the, I remember pieces of the original Hunger Games movie trailer. It was all people with bows and arrows running in forests. And it's like... There's none of this alternate future, bull. like, (laughs) government bullshit. Did you even know it happened, like, a thousand years in the future? No. I knew. I thought, you know, I didn't know that they had, like, an actual timeline, but I thought it, like, basically took place in, like, now times, but in this weird alternate reality where we throw kids and make them kill each other. Which
0: is what Battle Royale is, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's probably why I thought that, because I know that's what Battle Royale is like. But it would be like, if I saw a trailer for Battle Royale, having, like, not seen the movie, or if I just decided to see the movie, which I should, and there's, like, all of a sudden, it's like... Why does this take place in this, like, Star Trek weird, like, everybody's actually in on, like, a fucking holodeck? Like, I had no idea. That's what it felt like. It's was like, this looks completely different than I expected. But still, Philip Seymour Hoppin was awesome, so I was, yeah. I was happy with the trailer. I probably won't see the movie. I probably okay. won't see the original Hunger Games either, because I don't care but Philip Smith okay. was pretty cool. Well, then, uh, let me talk about it for a little bit. Yeah. I thought this was an
0: exquisite trailer, and I think what I really liked is that it's not a teaser trailer. They just, Yeah, it's a trailer trailer. They came out guns blazing. This, this could be the only trailer if they wanted to make it. They're, they will obviously do more. It comes out in November. They've got some time. But, I mean, behind Man of Steel, this was my other favorite trailer that came out this week, um, and I just think... You know, I I liked the first Hunger Games an awful lot. I thought... I read the book before I saw it, which is actually what I wrote that article about, Hunger Games vs. Battle Royale, off. It was about the two books. Um, but And the book is an okay, like, airport read. It's fun, it's fluffy, it's got very little substance, I think. It, like, tries to, but that writer is not a very talented writer. Um, but it's got some interesting ideas, even if most of them are stolen from other places. And... What Gary Ross, the director, did in the first Hunger Games is he made that story so inherently cinematic that I couldn't even imagine going back and ever reading the book again if I wanted to see the story. I would just watch the movie because it feels like it was born for cinema, it has no place even being a novel at that point. He did such a phenomenal job making that cinematic, and there were limitations to what he could do because he had to make it PG-13. Yeah. So yes, it is not nearly violent enough, and it does puss out around the hour mark. But that first hour building up to going in is just great movie making. Everyone's performances are phenomenal. But more than anything, I just think the visuals of that first Hunger Game are, are so compelling to me. It's a lot of shaky cam, and a lot of people complained about that. But I think it's one of the more compelling uses of shaking cam, shaky cam I've seen, where it's very improvisational and it's very... I also say sensual. It's like sensual camera work, where the way it moves around people and places and stuff, there's something about it that's very, very connected to these locations. Um, but Gary Ross decided to drop out of making the sequel to The Hunger Games because they were making it really, really fast, yeah. as you do now, and um, and so they brought in Francis Lawrence, who the only thing I know he's directed is I Am Legend, which is
1: okay, so, yeah, okay movie. Like the main problems with that movie have nothing to do with the direction. No, it's so.
0: it's a, it's a well, actually a very yeah. well directed movie. I think um, the their depiction of a sort of apocalyptic New York is really interesting in that yeah. movie. But I was, I was just wondering, can they do another really good cinematic Hunger Games without Gary Ross? And I think the answer is yes, because the first thing I noticed watching this trailer, very compelling visual style, really interesting color scheme, very blue, but not just not just blue. There's something here that I'm really interested to see what it looks like in the finished film. And, uh, and it just looks distinctive, and it doesn't look like what Gary Ross did, but it looks like something interesting and then they're laying out what I think looks like a very compelling story. I chose not to read the sequel books, because I just want to see them as movies from this point on out, um, with, with Jennifer Lawrence and all the really good actors they have in here. Like? Like so Hoffman. And that's what I was about to say, framing it through him, and then the actor um, who plays President Snow, he's, mm-hmm. God, he's a great actor, oh, Donald Sutherland, yeah. who's also awesome, mm-hmm. at having them together and sort of... The way they juxtapose that in the trailer sounds like it's a really interesting idea that is building off the best parts of the Hunger Games story, which is sort of this media manipulation side. Um, it just looks really interesting. I'm really, I'm curious about this movie. I'm, I'm much more excited for it than I thought I was going to be. Um, I, it's more of the kind of thing that I would go do out of professional obligation, which is what I did for the first one. And this looks like something that I will actually look forward to when November comes. Cool. So, good trailer.
1: Yeah. All right. So who would win in a fight, Philip Seymour Hoffman or Superman? Oh, man. That's the hardest one so far, honestly. We've just got to leave of the day. Like, if it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's character from Mission Impossible 3, like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. He is so great in that movie. He's so fucking good in that movie. He's, like, honestly, he might be the best villain in a, that kind of movie I've ever seen. Like, he is fucking terrifying in that movie. Yeah. People forget
0: JJ Abrams made an, made awesome movies before Star Trek and the one the, well, okay he made one and it was Mission Impossible three, and it is awesome. Yeah. And it is it's got lots of awesome things in it, but Phil, Phil Seymour, Seymour Hoffman is
1: so fucking good in that movie. He just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. I and mean, he will fuck you up and fuck up your family. He'll do it right in front of you. He just doesn't fucking care. For no reason yeah, whatsoever. For no dude. reason. God damn it, he's that, good in that movie.
0: God he's great. Alright. Um, check back in next week for our Mission Impossible 3 retrospective episode yeah
1: probably I should see that movie again that's a good yeah. movie Did you ever see Mission Impossible 4? Uh, no, no. It's, it's, Mission Impossible 3 is the only Mission Impossible movie I've seen okay
0: 4 is really great it's it's basically on the same level and better in some areas except it does not have a great villain like that yeah um, and I think it was they were actually kind of wise not to try to replicate yeah, exactly. that that's fucking yeah. yeah what I would say about 4 is that it's got better some better action sequences and stuff uh, but anyway, we are getting. Yeah, again, how are we doing this? Let's move on. Okay, let's get out of this hole. Let's talk. Let's try to get out of this hole. All right. Well, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff we like, right, yeah. Sean? Yeah. Well, let's talk about something fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. All right. At this week at CinemaCon, which is where a lot of these trailers and and news things came out of, we learned that Disney is planning, starting in 2015, to release a Star Wars movie. Every single summer for six years. So we will have 7, eight, 9, a year off between them, and a standalone movie, which we have absolutely no details on, yeah.
1: in between. Sean, do you think this is a good idea? No. God, God, no. I just, I... You no, know, I didn't want new Star Wars movies in the first place. I don't want Disney to make new Star Wars movies. And I certainly don't want a Star Wars movie every single fucking year. Because that's like who wants that? That's Okay. So much, this too much. You want me to
0: give you a good mindfuck here? Sure. By twenty summer of twenty twenty, we will have double the number
1: of Star Trek fuck movies you. we have now. Fuck you. I know it's not your fault, but fuck you. <laughs> you just told me that.
0: I mean, how, how okay, the goal here would be creatively to get six good movies out. Yeah. How the fuck do you get six good movies out in six years? Yeah, I don't That's never
1: been done? It's never nothing? Yeah, and it's just really weird because, you know, it just it immediately makes me think of Activision in Call of Duty, because uh-huh. it's like exactly what Call of Duty became after Call of Duty 4 I guess kind of before that, but you know, you had Infinity Ward making Call of Duty, and then you also had Treyarch making Call of Duty games, and you just, you know both of them had two year cycles, so you just released them every single year. And so there's the off year one, and
0: there's the yeah. on year one and you know, Call of Duty eventually flipped where people are looking forward more to the Treyarch ones. Yeah. So do you think that'll eventually happen? Like Star Wars Eight will just be shit, and then we'll like be looking forward to the Job of the Hut spinoff movie, <laughs> and then it'll, that'll be great. And then Star Wars Nine will kind of redeem itself or something. Like yeah,
1: like who, who
0: knows? Star like, Wars this? will Star Wars Eight have a scene where like the Jedi are forced to go into an airport and just mow people down? Hopefully, <laughs> okay. that'd be
1: awesome. But. <laughs> Yeah, it's just weird because I don't know. Like, it just doesn't, you know. Obviously, like I don't know a huge amount about making movies, but it just seems like that would be fucking hard to do. Like, it would be, I don't especially if- with Star Wars movies. Like, it would be one thing if it was, you know. Like, this is kind of, you know, like we we recently watched that a uh, Zatoichi movie. That, yeah, and you know, like
0: uh, Takeshi Kitano's yeah. reboot two thousand three. Yeah, trying to think of that name. It's fantastic. And, yeah, it,
1: it's based on this old series from like I think the sixties and fifties of Japanese uh, chambara like uh, samurai movies call of the Zatoichi that there's like 26 of them like there but they made most of them in the span of about 10 years so that was like one where there would be a movie coming out every single six months and I've watched like probably 10 of them and they're all really fun but none of them are really great but you know with those kinds of movies Yeah, you could totally do that and make them compelling because you have a nice formula that all these movies can kind of fit into. One actor. Yeah, they stand on the action. Yeah, you've got one really compelling main actor. Like, that would totally work. It's like, you know, you could make those... Like, we could fucking make a movie with the production values of Zatoichi, practically. Like, if we both, like, chipped in some money and bought a decent camera. Like, it wouldn't be that hard to do. Star Wars movies? No fucking way. No fucking way because... Star Wars movies are mostly effects. They've always mostly been effects. Yeah. Back in the day, there were practical effects, and with the prequels, they were CGI, and I'm guessing they're probably still going to mostly be CGI. Well, let's
0: talk about this. Disney has had out-of-control budgets on their recent projects, and they have been so out of control that they are taking hits on movies that are successful. Um, you know, Alice in Wonderland cost like $250 million. Now, that was a success because it was re- it broke records, went over a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, some you reason. Know. But
1: like for Johnny Depp, but
0: here's fun. the thing: it kind of needed to do that to turn a reasonable profit, yeah. um, because it had to get past 500 million. Basically, profitability is once you doubled your budget.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in movie making, because of other fees and, and marketing yeah, and all those sort of things. That's shit. Uh, theater takes a cut. Anyway, so they had that, and that was a success. But after that, they did Tron Legacy, which was a hit. It was a legitimate. Yeah. It did well worldwide. I don't think they saw a penny from that because it cost so goddamn much money. We also had um, John Carter, which cost oh, yes, to $300 yeah. million. So, yes, that was Disney. And that was a total flop, and they took one of the biggest losses in movie history, yeah. and the CEO had to quit and all this other stuff. So you, you see what the arc here. Yeah. Now this year we've got Oz the Great and Powerful. Now Oz the Great and Powerful cost upwards of $250 million, putting it among the most expensive movies ever made. It has some of the worst effects in modern movie history. They are ridiculously awful. They look half-finished. They do not work in any way, shape, or form. It looks like it maybe cost $100 million. So there is something at Disney where their budgets are getting out of control for movies that do not need those budgets. So this leads me to Star Wars, which the prequels back 10 years ago had $200 million, you know, those area budgets. At least the the new trilogy, 7, 8, 9, I assume will cost close to $300 million per film. Yeah. And I assume the other three will cost at least two hundred million, yeah, so they are talking about putting close to two hundred billion two two billion two just two flat billion dollars into these, yeah, and they would have to be hoping each one of them turns a billion so i don 't even understand yeah. i don 't even understand the commercial side of this because i don't think they're going to be able to eke out a profit on all of these. seven is going to do big, yeah, I can guarantee Without you seven down. and probably eight and nine. But what puts those into doubt is that
1: Star Wars used to be event movies. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this before, that it's like, because that's the cool thing about the Star Wars franchise is that it's all built around the movies, but there are only now six movies, and for a very long time there were only three movies, but there's all these, like, video games, comic books, novels, like, everything, like, toys built around it that created this, like, larger universe that I'm really fond of, that they're just bending over the table and fucking in the ass with these movies, Boy, that's beside the point... (laughs) But, you know, you had the movies that, like, everybody knew, everybody loved, and when they came out, it was a big fucking deal. That's why, you know, the prequels really fucking successful, even though, you know, I didn't like them, I went and saw every fucking movie day one, because... it's a, more than once in theaters. Yeah, with because it's a fucking Star Wars movie. Like, that's a huge deal. And, you yeah. know, episode three was actually pretty good. So. Yeah. And so, automatically,
0: they're meaning that past episode seven, which will be a big deal, and I assume will be one of the higher grossing movies of all time. Yeah. Past that, they are going to be just driving it into the ground because that's, I mean, okay, Call of Duty has gone up and up and up. So we really can't compare
1: it to that, but those are also video games. Yeah, and it's like, it's got the multiplayer. It's sort of like very addictive to people in that sense. And not understand why Call of Duty is really successful.
0: And to be fair, Call of Duty did not become the massive record breaking hit until they did this yearly annual schedule. And so that's just a different case. But with Star Wars, you know, you do run the risk of. You know, what's the the word for this? Oversaturating. Oversaturating.
1: Yeah. and and, arguing it, to go back to video game terms. Yes. the, The failure of Activision's release schedule.
0: And where oversaturation plays into this release schedule is that why you want to make a new trilogy, and specifically commit to doing a trilogy, is because you want to have your three event movies where people will go to seven, anticipating that there will be an eight and a nine to watch after it in a couple of years. Yeah. And that makes eight a big event movie,
1: and that makes nine a big event movie, even if they're all shit, as yeah. the prequels taught us. And then also, like, in between those, you can release huge amounts of fucking merchandise and video games and whatever the fuck you want to, like, spin the, like, mammoth Disney empire around to fucking produce.
0: Yeah. And I think they're going to oversaturate, because then at that point, 8 is not going to be a big event, because we just saw, you know, the most Isley Canteen docudrama <laughs> the year before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, the Star Wars found kind of footage movie.
0: Yeah. And so, it's like, you know, you would have gotten your Star Trek fix less than 12 months earlier. Star
1: Wars fix. You your Star Wars. Star Trek.
0: Fucking goddammit! J.J. Yeah. Abrams doing both. This is becoming Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Anyway, so, they're risking oversaturation. It's going to be a weird thing on that level. And, I just, there's so many questions here, and we'll get to them in a second. I assume the main, I assume Disney is aware of some of this, and I assume their main point of revenue they are looking to get out of this is merchandising and you know i would not be obviously star wars is one of the biggest merchandising drives in movie history and if you have star wars literally on the market at all times for six years that will theoretically drive merchandise but even then i think that risks a major oversaturation i think so too like
1: you know parents are not going to buy like brand new star wars toys every fucking week, you know, yeah. like, just, like, that go along with, like, the new movie, like, the, you know, people are not going to buy a Star Wars video game that ties into every single movie every fucking week.
0: Right, like, you know, and, and, like, when I was
1: a kid, I bought a new lightsaber every couple years, not... Yeah, because you, you can't, you, until you reach, like, basically, teenagerdom, as a boy, you can't go without having a toy lightsaber, like, it's, like, no. physically impossible. I still have them back at my parents' yeah, house. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. Anyway, as you know, sometimes, if yeah, you would just have to hit your brother with a plastic lightsaber. Like, that just has to happen. Yes, it's an urge I'll have to fulfill. Anyway,
0: but, uh, yeah, I agree, because here's the thing. This is the mi- this is another mindfuck I gave you the other day, was if they are making a Star Wars movie every year and they are coming out in the same time frame every year, that means there will be, for six solid years, every month of the year, a Star Wars Trailer playing in theaters, yeah. or there will be ads for the DVD of the previous Star Wars movie on TV. So there will be a Star Wars ad wherever you go for six full years, and I think Disney is trying to capitalize on that and make like six years of Star Wars orgy fervor. But that's that. There's no way that can work. Yeah. There's just no way that can work, and I'm not even worried about eating my words here
1: because I' pretty goddamn sure I'm right. Yeah, like I don't. This is just fucking crazy. This is so everything we find out about the Star Wars movie, other than JJ Abrams directing it, just feels kind of insane. At this, I point. mean, do
0: we want to mention they also they've canceled the Clone Wars?
1: Yeah, yeah the TV the TV series
0: that's basically left high and dry. And they've done what other shit have they done
1: recently? Oh, uh, they they shut down Lucasarts.
0: Yeah, so they've they've just been kind of taking a hatchet to everything the old fandom kind of liked. Yeah, in in terms of expanded universe stuff. And I don't know what they're plan. I just. I mean, let's, let's transition to the bigger discussion here. We know, we don't re- literally know like what the plots are going to be, but we know 7, 8, 9 are going to be more stories in the universe we already know, same time frame. Yeah,
1: like, probably like, you know, maybe max 30 years after the end of Return of the Jedi, You yeah. know Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and uh, Harrison Ford will be back for at least 7,
0: Yeah. probably so, 8, 9, 2. Yeah. Um, if they're all alive. Yeah. I, I, I really hate to say that, but Harrison Ford is 70 years old. That is true. And I, I don't, I hope he lives to be like 200, but you know. In, yeah. any, in any case. Um, start. They just... Another thing, they won't be wanting to put all their eggs in that basket. Yeah. Um, but, so we know, we know generally 7, 8, 9 will be like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You know, yeah. more, more of that level. But we've got these off-year movies and... I think what baffles me about them announcing this now is that they had absolutely no details to give yeah, out on those. It
1: seems like you'd at least would have wanted to like you know, have like a title or something for at least the first standalone movie. Like yeah. we have heard these rumors for a while of there's been like there's rumors of a Yoda standalone movie Rumors of, like, a young Han Solo standalone movie. And then there was, like, long ago, like, the Zack Snyder's Seven Samurai Jedi movie. That feels good. like that got completely debunked.
0: Well, because Zack Snyder couldn't direct yeah. it.
1: Yeah. He's locked in with Man of Steel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, out of all three of those, the only one I want to see is the Seven Samurai one, and that's the one that's least likely to get made, it seems like. Okay, like, that's, so that's the one that seems like that was just a complete rumor.
0: Yeah, I wish we could get the Star Wars Zatoichi movie, where Zatoichi <laughs> is, like, a wandering Jedi
1: blind Jedi yeah. there, there have been several blind Jedi nice. well, and his but cane is a lightsaber yeah
0: be great yeah make it just as There's bloody as cane
1: lightsabers in the past too, But no, nice anyway um, but do you want to it's see... been done in the expanded universe I, tr- I assure okay. you whatever it is yeah alright so Sean other than a Yoda origin movie well let me ask you these things Do you want to see a Yoda origin movie? God, no. Like, out of all of those ideas, that's the worst. Like, I can... I don't want to see a young Han Solo movie. I know... At least in the existing expanded universe, I know Han Solo's past. He was, like... He was at an Imperial Academy. But they're not going to be using that. Yeah, they're probably not going to use that. They might. Like, who knows? It's like... But there's nothing... Like, there's nothing really interesting. Like, there's nothing I really want to see in a movie about Han Solo's past, you know? Like, there's nothing... Because the biggest shit that Han Solo does is after episode 4, and, like, at the end of episode 4, when he decides to help out Luke, and then after that, he becomes, like, a general for the fucking rebellion and all that shit. That's the interesting part of Han Solo's story, because that also has his arc of him being a scoundrel, and then becoming sort of a war hero, getting involved with Leia, anything... It's, like, sort of like prequel. The problem with making a prequel is that I know all the shit with this character. We've told the interesting stories, the most interesting stories this character has to tell making a prequel saps all dramatic potential out of it, because, you know like any character relationships he builds in the prequel well, other than with Chewbacca when we already understand his, his relationship with Chewbacca perfectly like all those would be wiped clean so no real need for a young Han Solo and movie here's the other but I can see it and I wouldn't like completely despise it on principle I just think it would be dull although here's my other thing about them
0: doing a Han Solo movie is if they're doing it young, I assume they're doing it more for kids. Like, that's my assumption, is these off-year movies will be more for kids. Oh, if they
1: did that, like, but, okay, if they, but they here's did my that, problem, that would wouldn't be... work at all. Here's my
0: problem. If you, ha- if you were to do a young Han Solo movie, no matter what, yeah. any Han Solo prequel,
1: it would have to be dark, and it would have to be edgy, because when we meet Han at the beginning of yeah, episode four... Yeah, he's fucking smuggle. He smuggles drugs. That's what he's doing. Yes. He- that's what the fucking Kessel Run was, is he was smuggling space heroin. Like, that's that's why he's in debt with Jabba, like a criminal megalomaniac with a massive criminal empire that spans an entire planet that expands out into the fucking galaxy. Yeah. Han Solo is a bad fucking
0: dude. And I don't care what George yeah. Lucas wants to tell you through the special editions, the first thing we see
1: Han Solo do is kill a guy in cold blood. Yeah. Well, kind of cold blood. I mean, Greedo was going to probably shoot him. Han's is shot first. Yeah. But he shot first. That's the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Han Solo went to a room and, like, shot a woman in the back, you know. Like, okay. That's, like, cold, cold-blooded. But, you know, here's the thing. He could have at some point in his past. And what they're going to do, I
0: assume what Disney would do with one of these is make a really just kind of light and just kind of like, ah, oh, he's Han Solo. They make, like, an lover. entire
1: movie out of, like, the first 15 minutes of Last Crusade, but for Han Solo instead, yeah. where it's like, you find out, oh, that's where he got his blaster and that's where he got his penchant for smuggling heroin. <laughs> Oh, that rascal! Here's the period where he was actually doing
0: space heroin. Yeah, off the backs of space hookers. Yeah, off
1: the backs of like Twi'lek strippers.
0: <laughs> With Chewbacca, Chewbacca yeah, got hooked on it, too.
1: Yeah, bad idea. But uh, you have a rant on the Yoda movie. I feel like you want to give. Yeah, and the Yoda movie is the worst one, just because that like the origins and like where Yoda comes from, what species Yoda is, like all that shit is one of the few like legitimate. We don't we don't touch that in Star Wars Dumb. It's like, you know, the origins of Wolverine before they made origin at Marvel, but whatever. That was actually a good comic series. But Yoda's like we don't know what planet Yoda's from. We don't know what species he is. There's like been a couple of other Yoda-like creatures throughout the history of Star Wars, but there's only been like five. Like that's cool. I like that. I don't want to see, like, little baby Yoda on whatever, like, shitty planet he grows uh, now up
0: ma- on. Ma- I'm like, baby Muppets. Yeah, exactly. They have songs and everything.
1: Yeah. Except so that fit with Muppets. Yeah. With Yoda, it's just, like, no, God, like... Is it, like, Yoda going to college and then, like, him trying to deal with the fact that he's, like, two feet tall and green with, like, big pointy ears and everyone else is taller than him and just makes fun of him? Like, what do you do? What do you do with, like, a Yoda origin movie? That would be interesting. It's almost, like, kind of like the the Jack Sparrow syndrome of when they tried to make Pirates of the Caribbean 4 and make Jack Sparrow the main character. You could not... But it's even worse because you couldn't even possibly make Yoda the main character. He's not... A main character, main character. Like, he's really awesome, but there's nothing to Yoda to fit, like, the central role of a story that would, like, span a whole movie. I mean, that's the other thing, is that Yoda does not, as we see him in, in Star Wars stories, have arcs, because he yeah. has... He's past yeah, that. He's, yeah, he's, he's done all of his arcs, and you don't need to see any of his arcs, as because it. that's not who Yoda is. Yoda is, like, the ultimate mentor character, and that's cool. You don't need to see Yoda, like, you know, being a rebellious teenager, and that's where he finds, like, having... You know, like this older, other Yoda dude who he, like, looks up to. Like, we don't need to see any of that. And that was you assume un- something like that has happened in his past. And, so you don't
0: and, and if we actually saw it, it would undermine the Yoda we see in the yeah. other films. Here's, here's my pitch. Okay. And if they do this, I will pay
1: money up the ass for this movie. I've, my pitch is already the Yoda goes to college and, like, sort of has to work through his, you know, self-esteem issues because he's green and short and then he finds, okay. like, a girlfriend or whatever. But we don't talk about her. All right. Because she's um, not in the other movies. I'm saying we
0: do... Yoda, the Dagobah years. It's just those 20 years where he's him on Dagobah. slowly
1: going insane on
0: Dagobah. <laughs> and we have Terrence Malick direct it and do it, whereas Yoda never talks. Or he has some like, narration lines, but it's him slowly... There, like his, there,
1: yeah, there are no characters or anything. It's
0: just, yeah. just Yoda on Dagobah, and it ends with him seeing like a ship coming down. And it's just basically him getting crazier and crazier and crazier...
1: Like, this is really weird, but, like, the first thing that came to my mind is that there would be a point in the movie where Yoda goes to the cave, you know, where Luke goes into and, like, fights himself, and, like, whoa, that bullshit is, like, looks like Darth Vader, and when he, but when he goes in there, he just sees, like, two Yoda's fucking, like, like, it's, like, his sexual repression, because he hasn't gotten laid in, like, 500 years. Like, that's, not, like, the first fucking, like, that's the first scene I would shoot for that movie. Would but it wouldn't even be like, Yoda would have, like, no emotion, he'd just sit there and watch it for, like, three minutes, and then he'd just leave the cave, like, no emotion, nothing, because it would be, like, halfway through the movie. <laughs> with, with the
0: two, so you're saying they would just be two Yoda I don't know, puppets. I don't know if it would
1: actually be, like, like two other, like, he just looks like Yoda, but it would be two, like, members of Yoda's Okay, I thought it was like, he was I mean, I kind of would want it to be two actual, like, it's Yodas. Would they be puppets? Could we do it like yeah. All, all the Yodas are puppets. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. I wouldn't want these to be CGI Yodas. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> all right. On Dagobah, like canonically, he's a puppet at that point. He yes. stopped being okay. CGI after Episode Three.
0: Okay, so I love this idea. I think this needs to be the Yoda movie: Yoda on Dagobah. Like, Why
1: did if they do? The, I mean. You know we're being really cynical here, but what if Disney does have this really weird plan up their sleeve of we're going to make super experimental off-year of Star Wars movies? Like we're not going to do this. There's no <laughs> way they're doing okay. this, but we're Na- not doing like the cynical commercial like you know Yoda goes to college movie. We're doing the like crazy fucking like David Lynch Star Wars movie. All right. Well, name a Just single
0: dude. name a single project Disney has done since Walt Disney died. Like that, I said, be- they
1: haven't. Uh, they're yeah. not going to do that, but. They theoretically could. Like no. that is it is technically on the table even if they're never going to do it. Like that option yeah. technically exists. They're never going to do it and It's Disney the th- for Buck's sake. And I guess we should bring this conversation back around
0: is that if we had an indication that they were gonna be using these off year, you know, movies to explore the Star Wars movie world in really compelling ways that we have not seen before,
1: I would be all on board. Yeah. One hundred percent. Because I yeah, think I want a, to see really good Star Wars movies. At least a part of me does. But yeah. I just don't think Disney is going to do it. And I just think, I
0: mean, that was our complaint about them doing a movie called Episode 7, is that's not thinking outside the box. Yeah, there's, That's not going to surprise us, I think, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But when you have the Star Wars license, I, yes, I would love to see you do other legitimate, interesting, artistic projects in the universe because it's a universe that rec- just demands more exploration mm-hmm. on film. But that's I just don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't know if these rumors about the ones they're making are true, but it would make sense that they're yeah, going Yeah, it would, to... like, it
1: feels like they're probably true just because we heard about those rumors of them making standalone movies and then having, like, slowly a Yoda 1, a Han Solo 1, and then we find out, oh, yeah, they are making standalone movies, and, like, they're making them soon. Feels like they, it's pretty plausible. Right, so here's like, the question. The ideas around, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, so here's the other question. I... who's going to be making these movies? Because...
1: I don't know, the... yeah, because presumably it would be a different... Like, you know, assuming they can get J.J. J. Abrams for all their, their main trilogy. And that's movies.
0: something we need to talk about, because yeah. I don't think they
1: can. Yeah, but, like, let's just say they can. Presumably they would want someone different for all the off-year movies, right? Unless it's another trilogy. Like, it wouldn't make sense, you know, to have, like, Brad Bird make all the off-year movies or something, you know? Yeah,
0: no, and I, it would be hard to, because, you know, maybe one of the reasons J.J. Abrams could do the 789 is he'd be working with the same cast, same sets, same yeah. ideas there uh, but with the option movies, if they're all going to be separate and standalone, as they have said, yes, I think you would want a different filmmaker for all of those. There are lots of filmmakers who would love to make a Star Wars movie, and I get that, but I don't... I mean, the one who's... Even the one who's going to make it for 2016, they would have to have him on board now, yeah, starting yeah. on
1: it tomorrow. I mean, this is... Yeah, it's and it's just something where it's like, you know, because you don't want to get, like, some random dude for a Star Wars movie, so it's like it seems like for those six years they're going to completely lock down like the top tier Hollywood directors that would direct this kind of movie, you know? Maybe. and
0: maybe, Or maybe they'll go the route of, like, you know, getting some up-and-comers. Like, there was a rumor that Colin Trevorrow, who's an indie filmmaker, was going to do Star Wars 7. Um, and obviously that didn't happen, but he is doing Jurassic Park 4, which makes sense to me on that level. Um, they could be doing stuff like that with smaller up-and-coming movies. I
1: completely forgot they were making Jurassic Park 4. Coming next year, 12 yeah, months Jesus. away. <laughs> Fuck. Hopefully, hopefully the dinosaurs have feathers. If they don't, I'm not going to see that movie. Because okay. we know better now. God damn it. And for fuck's sake, we, there should be a special edition Jurassic Park where they put feathers on those goddamn dinosaurs.
0: They missed their opportunity. If they don't,
1: this. I'm never going to see Jurassic Park again unless they do that, other than Jeff Goldblum scenes. Because <laughs> those are good. Okay. Um,
0: in any case, so, yeah, and I do want to go back to this point of, they have now locked in, they're saying seven, eight, nine, two years apart. Yeah. No, I don't think they're going to get JJ Abrams for that. I, yeah. I have no expectation that they would, unless they throw just unholy amounts of money at him. But even I mean, let's look at directors. You know, I mean, let's just look at his own history. He did Star Trek. Star Trek's a big hit. Paramount probably would have paid him anything to put Star Trek Two out in 2011. Yeah, two years later, and he said, "No, I want to make Super Eight. I want to go do my own thing." Yeah, because he's just that. He's just that kind of director. You know yeah, that kind yeah. of director. It's clear
1: he has a lot of different things he wants to do.
0: Yeah, and I. I don't think he wants to do Star Wars for 6 solid years where he would literally be doing nothing else. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he's he's not like, you know, Michael Bay doing Transformers where Michael Bay kind of needed to do 3 Transformers movies because yeah. he'd had a couple flops. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and,
1: and those Transformers movies made so much money that yeah, it's yeah. like for I would imagine it's hard like no matter who you are to walk away from something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Michael
0: Bay is a has hundreds and hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. Yeah, from it's like Transformers Transformers. I could
1: either go make a completely different movie or I could make another shitty Transformers movie and just get like, I could buy another mansion.
0: Yeah. You, know? you could buy every mansion yeah. on the planet at a certain point.
1: No, but I yeah. Go get that island and just recreate Far Cry 3 in real life.
0: Yeah. I think Michael Bay would do that.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'd totally go there.
0: Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, and I think, if Star Wars 7, 8, 9 are, are you know, un- unholy, runaway hits, which yeah. they might very well be. Yeah, at least 7 is good. 7, seven so, That's going to make so much money. Yeah. Um, you know, then maybe. And and I think they can... I, I would... I don't know. I want to say I think they could get J.J. Amos for eight, but I just don't know, because I know how many things he already had in the pipeline before this yeah. came along. And... I
1: mean, because he originally didn't want to do it. Like, he was outspoken before, like, yeah. they, had, like, really legitimately approached him saying, I don't want to do a Star Wars movie. And it was only until he heard what they had to say about it that he actually got on board. So it seems and, like he's not, like... It, you don't have this impression that he's like automatically in it for like I'm going to be the dude on this franchise and I
0: guess that's the other thing to note if you do have a two year release cycle with the level of effects of a Star Trek movie you would have to sign on and get started on pre-production before Seven hits theaters yes you just would have to and and he would have to be signed on for that already and I, I and I also think like if I remember correctly there have been no reports that his contract requires him to do the next two and that's, that's I've never heard
1: I haven't heard anything about that. And, so.
0: and I think that's actually one of the reasons why Michael Bay did Transformers 2 and 3 is I think he was contractually obligated. And then there's a lot of stuff like that where you make a movie and sometimes like Zack Snyder is contracted I believe to do Superman 2 if Man of Steel is a hit. Yeah. That's usually how it works because they they want to have someone they trust doing these movies. So, it's just just a lot of problems here logistically and creatively and it's one of the more just, baffling pieces of news where it's like, I, I read it and I'm like, you guys know April 1st was two weeks ago. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like you guys are a little fucking slow on the upkeep. Yeah, you guys... It's, it's weird. It's so weird. It's weird. I, and then it's like, you also just have... I'm like, the other side of it I'm super curious about still is, you know, after they turn LucasArts, LucasArts into like a licensing house, are they going to like, license out Star Wars like console video games? Because Disney is not other than their new Disney Infinity thing, which is sort of like the Skylanders, like, toy crossover bullshit, Disney does not make video games. Like, they've been out of video games for a long time, because they, when they did it, they fucked up. The only other games they made were Epic Mickey 1 and 2, and they fucked up there too. So, you know, Disney's not inclined to be in the video game business, so I'm curious, like, you know, are they going to try to do anything on that front? Like, there's just so much going on, I'm no idea. And then eventually, and if- like, the Dark Horse comics stuff, they're the guys who make the Star Wars comics. I assume eventually that deal or whatever's going to run out. Like, will Disney still be like, yeah, no, you guys can still make Star Wars comics? Like, of course they won't. Yeah, like, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like, I have no idea. I was just really hoping when Disney bought Star Wars, it would be like Marvel. Where it's like, when Disney bought Marvel fucking nothing changed that you could, like, immediately see. Like, I'm sure there's, like, you know, some, like, the stuff with the movies probably got, like, more money or whatever, but it wasn't, like, immediately impaired. oh, Disney bought Marvel. With Star Wars, it's, like, everything's changing. Like, everything's changing. And so it's really disappointing to me, because I didn't... You know, LucasArts has not made a good game in a while, but I did not necessarily want them to be shut down, like... Well, and here's
0: the point. I think they would be foolish thought to play the video game market on Star Wars, if merchandising is a reason why they're doing the six-year deal, is because the Star Wars video games have historically sold well. They're well-regarded. There is a market of gamers for them, and that's the difference between... I mean, video game tie-ins for movies, that's a dying thing. That's just not happening as much anymore. Well for
1: Star Wars, it could work. I mean, Star Wars Episode Three game is actually pretty good. Yeah, and there's a built-in audience for these things. For God's sakes, one of my, if not my favorite game of all time, is a Star Wars game, so... Yeah. I, I kind of want to see more Star Wars games. Yeah. Even if they haven't been good very recently. Right. So Star Wars Connect is the one you're mentioning, right? Your favorite... Star Wars. Yeah, obviously, yeah. It's like that fucking... I can't get enough of their Star Wars remix songs in their Just Dance mini game. Like, it's so good. So good. All right. Yoda versus Superman. <laughs> Superman? Like, that's not even... It's not even close. No. Well, that's an interesting question. How effective would a lightsaber be against Superman's skin? Like, would, like... I imagine it would sting, but would it cut him? Because here's, lightsabers can cut a lot of shit.
0: Here's another. Here's another one. Okay, okay you yeah. you uh, use kryptonite to tie down. You know, like with kryptonite chains, tie Superman to like a block in space, and fire the Death Star at him. Does he die?
1: Yeah, that would kill. him. Okay, yeah, all right. The, like the, I mean, the, realistically, that would kill him. But like if that was a story, he'd get out of it, obviously. So right. right, but yeah, yeah. yes, but if that happened, he'd die. Okay. Yeah. He's Superman's mortal. Like he's he's not literally immortal. That's not one of his superpowers, like a lot of people think. Right. Okay. So,
0: with that, let's move on from the shitty Star Wars news. Let's yeah. get let's get happy again here, Sean. Okay. We we from here on out, podcast is smooth sailing. We are talking about things we like very much. And the first of these topics is Halo Four multiplayer. We want to check back in as yep. we noted at the beginning of this podcast several months ago, November when Halo Four came out. Yeah. We quickly did a podcast reviewing, obviously, the campaign and what multiplayer we had played so far, but there have been a lot of changes, and it very much feels like we've got all three map packs out now, Yeah, we've got a bunch of updates to multiplayer playlists and all this other stuff, we're revamping um, the experience system. So, Sean, what do you, how satisfied are you with Halo 4 multiplayer now
1: versus when it started? I like it a lot more now. Like, I, I took a pretty long break there until like a couple of weeks or about a month ago, when I sort of started getting it back into it because of the map packs being released, and I've been having a lot of fun. I think they've improved a lot of it in some really smart ways. Some of, like, they're they're still doing... There's a few mistakes here and there. It's not quite where it needs to be, but it's like, you know, they've had time to, like, evolve the multiplayer experience based on the way people are actually playing it, which is obviously, you know, you can't do that a week out like when we recorded our first podcast. Right. But, yeah, it's definitely, you know, they're... 343 Industries is doing their due diligence by Halo 4 the way Bungie did with 3 and Reach. Yes. So, uh, I feel the same way. I think I think I played Halo 4
0: multiplayer almost non-stop for about a month there. I have like... Yeah, I played so
1: much right when it came out. And
0: then yeah. after about the first month, I took a pretty long break. Because it got... It wasn't just that other stuff came out. It got... Yeah. Of all the Halo multiplayer so far that's been online, it, this got the most repetitive to me, the fastest. Um, just because of different... The maps are not... That it launched with are very very good, yeah. but they're not so compelling that I want to play on them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there was a very limited set of multiplayer playlists at the beginning, and they, they were not the hoppers did not have multiple game types, and that was a big deal that they only yeah. recently fixed. Was if you play if you went into a SWAT hopper, you were just playing SWAT. If you went into a Team Slayer hopper, you were just playing Slayer, and that's not how Halo is at its most fun online. I think we yeah. agree. Yeah. So just a lot of little things like that. It got repetitive to me. Took a break. As you did, I came back when the Map Pack started coming out and most recently when they started doing a lot of big changes. And I've been I'm having a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's improved a lot. So I guess Yeah. Let's uh let's just sort of like go through some of the changes they've made and talk about them. I think like yeah. the biggest and most important one and the one I think we talked about the most when the game originally launched were the playlists, because that's something where every single time a Halo game has launched, it's had a pretty bare bones like, you know, Team Slayer, Team Objective, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they sort of had a different methodology for it in this one of, you know, you still had Slayer, you still had Big Team Slayer, but then past that, all the objective game types had their individual modes, which most of those still exist, but uh, they also have a, a team objective mode that sort of ties in more of like the, uh, the oddball, canal, extraction. Yeah, extraction, like those modes that don't necessarily hold up a like, playlist, playlist on, on their there. own, the way that uh, Dominion or Capture the Flag can
0: uh, yeah, there's that, there's Team uh, Throwdown, is that the one that's got all the uh, Forge maps?
1: Uh, I believe, yeah, Team Throwdown is the one that has, that implements all the uh, Forge maps that people have made.
0: And I think that's actually a good thing to point out. The biggest thing for me
1: in making Halo 4 feel a lot more alive is having all the Forge maps in there. Because yeah, it definitely helps lend a lot more map variety that, you know, like Halo 4, when it launched, was had a lot of very big maps. Yeah, And now you know, people making, like, the remake of Lockout. There's, uh, I think, Simplex is one of the ones that's, like, that's a lot, like, a smaller arena-based map. There are a lot more smaller, like, small to mid-sized maps in the game, just because of the uh, Forge map creators.
0: And they're, they're great, and I, I think yeah. Reach, I played, you know, the last year of playing Reach, I almost never played on one of the loadout, like, the original maps they made in the for the game, yeah. which was too bad, because I love those maps. But... And I say too bad, I love the Forge maps too, and I was always playing on new maps, and I loved that. And I was kind of, Halo 4 got boring fast to me because it's like, well, this is the same eight maps. Yeah. And and
1: it actually had very few maps because three of them were reserved for Forge, and you never saw them because they yeah. weren't online yet. Which now they have rolled into the playlist. They're forge maps. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I have no idea why they were not in the playlist yeah. in the first place. But We've got Team Action Sack. That's a great one, right? Yeah, Team Action Sack is a lot of fun because that was one I've been, I've been waiting for for a very long time of let's get some dumb modes in there. Like, yeah, yeah. modes that, you know, like the kind of thing that you can only play on Halo, and the, my favorite one on that, that they don't have, like, there's a lot of the rotating uh, game types in Team Action Set, but my favorite one was uh, Fiesta, which Fiesta is like a old-school, like sort of like, I think people started making it in Halo 2 when you just played custom games for this kind of thing, where it was just, in old Halo, it was just random weapon spawns, which was a ton of fun, because, you know, sometimes you spawn and you're like, I've got a rocket launcher, I am good for, like, the next three minutes in this game, I'm going to lay waste. Or you get on this streak of, like, I keep on spawning with a fucking carbine and a fucking, like, plasma rifle, and I'm fucked. Over and over and over again. And it just creates this, like, nice sense of chaos, because you have no idea what you're going to be able to do and you have to be very adaptable. But then their version of Fiesta was really fucking interesting, because they, uh, it allowed you to use your own loadouts, so it didn't have random weapons... But every single time you spawned, it would give you an ordinance drop, which, if you don't remember in Halo Four, is where it gives you like three options of like power weapons you could drop down. And the ordinance drops are adjusted so that they only drop power weapons and uh, power ups. And then every single time you get a kill, you also get an ordinance drop. So it's like if you do really well, you can keep on getting power ups and new weapons dropping down, and that was super fucking fun because. One, it allowed you to create loadouts that were really dumb that would only work in that mode. Like, I used Jetpack all the fucking time and, like, changed all my stuff so I had infinite sprint, which I don't usually use. That was so much fucking fun just because it was like, I can just play this really dumb game type, don't have to be competitive about it, don't have to care about winning, that I can just, you know, just buy sheer luck, get an incineration cannon, get a kill, then get speed boost, and with speed boost, and I think they had slightly faster speed and uh, higher, or lower gravity, so you could jump higher. With the speed boost, you could and jetpack. You could jump across the drift where the uh, man cannon was. You could go the other way and fly over the man cannon and like cross the map like that. And I would just like circle the map that way and just kill people. It's so much fucking fun. Nice.
0: Uh, now, don't they have a lone wolf style playlist now?
1: Uh, yes, they they have a rumble pit, which okay. is basically yeah, just free for all Slayer, which I haven't played a lot of. But, like, I probably will... Like, That's one of the up? best playlists for Halo. Yeah, yeah, like that on Halo 3 and, and actually in Reach, I played a shit ton of lone wolves of just going out there and playing free-for-all.
0: And actually, free-for-all, I've played a ton of it recently. It's kind of become my new go-to thing in Halo 4 because Rumble Pit is very compelling how they... It, it, there's not any change, you know, obviously, it's just free-for-all. Yeah, it's But insane. just free-for-all. with the Halo game mechanics, I think it's really compelling because you really get, you know, full reign uh, 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 often... Of your own loadouts and stuff, so yeah. you really cut like you really do feel like I'm not just you know going out as a random Spartan. I'm me. Yeah, like really you be- have
1: a nice sense of individuality because you're able to customize your Spartan and you're completely on your own. So it's like, and you have your uh, when you're on your own, you obviously don't have your team colors. So it's your like it's the only time other than Spartan Ops where you get to see your Spartan as your Spartan the way you want him to look. Yeah, and that's a lot of fun. Like it's I, a ton of fun. I, yeah, I, I like having my Spartan not be really bright red or really bright blue. It looks dumb. (laughs) All right.
0: So we got those. Um, Griffball is now a permanent game type, and I don't know how much you've played with that.
1: Uh, I haven't played a ton, like, just here and there.
0: I think it's really come into its own. I think having it as an official game type, and they've obviously done some work on it, it's very fun. It's not something I want to play for hours on
1: end. Yeah, like, I've never been a huge fan of Griffball. I've always just kind of enjoyed it and played it here and there, sort of a palate cleanser.
0: But I see playing it more this way. I think the, the arenas are really interesting. The
1: uh, design of the ball and just just little gameplay tweaks can, like that. you can throw the ball now. That's yeah, I like. I've always liked that with their like throwing that into oddball. Yeah, um, and you can you know uh,
0: you can automatically pick it up when you go over it. Just things yeah. like that. It, it, it works really well. It's very good. So
1: <clears throat> that's griffball. Uh, anything else to talk about with the game? Um, there's like Team SWAT, which I know that's like fucking your thing. I, I played there when the game rolled out.
0: Uh, it was there a week after, though. I yeah, think it was actually, there really yeah. quick, but
1: it was there as a temporary playlist that then, like, was so popular because people really love SWAT that they then brought back and has been there basically ever since. Yeah, no, I'm a... i am
0: aii mostly play SWAT. I You're mostly SWAT played, Yeah, I mostly played SWAT on Halo Reach and I mostly play on here. So I... Uh, when I go into one of the big maps and I see the big team maps, I'm not as good on, on those because I'm really good on the small maps just because of the amount of SWAT I play. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. See, so then... Let's see, what other new modes? Team Snipers, is I think that's always fun, but I know you're not really great at the Sniper, so...
0: I'm not great at Snipers, but I, I still, if I... Here's the thing. I wish Team Snipers was rolled into the Slayer playlist.
1: I agree. Like, that's something that... I think—I don't think Reach really did that that much, but Halo 3 did on Social Slayer of, like... Yeah. Sometimes you get, like, shoddy Snipers and shit. And, and I'll
0: tell you, I was the best at sniping in Halo 3 because it was rolled into that, because I will never of my own volition... Let me create... You are not the best at sniping. I said I was at my
1: best. Oh, I thought you said you were the best at sniper. No, 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 I was okay, at my. Sorry. I misheard no, no, no. you. Oh. I was bad. I was at my personal. Okay, let's not get a little over. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Just my personal
0: lifetime best. Relative to other people, it's shit still. But you know, I'm not gonna. My point here is, I'm not gonna pick Team Snipers on my own just because I want to play an hour of Team Snipers. That's not. That's not that kind of game type to me. But you roll it in with SWAT, with a Slayer or something, and it comes up, I'll be totally happy to play it yeah, yeah. for a game or two. And the reason I'm bad at snipers at this point is because it's on its own, and I just ignore it, and I never use the sniper rifle, and, you know, practice makes perfect. Yeah. Or yeah. competent, or semi-competent. Practice
1: makes you can get a kill or two sometimes. Yes. Uh, on your case. But, yeah. There's also Team Doubles is a, a playlist that I've always been kind of fond of. We've been playing you... a ton of yeah, that. It's yeah, great. Yeah, we played that. That's, yeah, it's always... Unless... Do we want oh, to do yeah, that? There, about... There's one other thing, like one weird thing that we didn't realize at first because the forge maps were not implemented. But you know, Halo has always been a game where it's a lot of fun to play with your friends. If like with us when we're on the same couch, and just play split screen. And I know obviously you've played Halo that way, like for most of your life, because you also played a lot of Halo with your brother at home.
0: Yeah, I've never played like the Halo two or three campaigns outside of split screen.
1: Yeah, so, so it's always just weird to me because it's like yeah. I always think of it because most of the Halo multiplayer I played since obviously three came out has been online, so it's like I always think of like the full big right. screen, and so it's always this really weird adjustment for me when I get the have to play split screen with you. But yeah, there's a weird thing where, obviously you know Halo Four is a fucking gorgeous game, but when you're doing split screen, which means that the game has to render the images twice for obviously each different screen. And you also have, the game also has to handle all the forge-placed objects, which take up more processing power. And have dynamic lighting. Yeah, and have dynamic lighting on top of it, which makes playing on forge maps so much better. Like, it yeah, yeah, yeah. feels just so much nicer with having actual lighting in there. But, like, that combination of things means when you play split-screen on a forge map, your frame rate fucking takes to, like, about 15 frames or below consistently. Unless you're staring at the outer edge of the map where you're only having to render a wall, then it works great, but... Yeah, that that leads to a lot of situations of me looking at like the outer edge of the wall and then trying to like walk backwards like sideways along the map, hoping I can catch someone against that wall and kill them. Yeah, because playing a first person shooter at fifteen frames per second is not the like the best way of playing a first person shooter. Let's just say that it's obviously you know like most games don't have split screen, especially not in like online multiplayer. Like Call of Duty doesn't let you do that on online multiplayer for for these very reasons of that. It is a lot of work to try to optimize it that way, and it's great that Halo four, other than like really big crazy things like Big Team Infinity Slayer and shit like that, the frame rate's always like really great online. So it's like, you know, fair enough. Like I, I I will I will accept that if that's like that's what the situation is. I will not knock my by score at grading the game for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's like for me to be able to have split screen is just let's you and I have to try to avoid playing on Forge maps, that's fine. Yeah. Usually it's very good about in Team Doubles of not having, like, all the options to be forged maps. And usually the first one is a non-Forge map, so if you vote for that one, you get it automatically because there are only four votes, and it will go for, like, the first one if there's a tie. Right. So Yeah. So it's a weird little situation, but it's not a big deal, and it's like, you know, you get I'll take it if I have to take it for, yeah. like, everything else you get.
0: All right, so that's all the game-type kind of stuff. What else yeah. do you want to talk about here?
1: Uh, like, the the I guess don't really want to go into detail that much with the new maps, but I've liked every single map pack. I think every single map pack has had two good maps and one okay map so far. Yeah. I haven't played a lot on the Castle Ones that much, to, so like, really have my opinion set on them,
0: but... Yeah, I actually think it's interesting how stark it is, where on all three of the map packs, I think two of the maps are usually great to amazing, yeah. and then one is kind of... Okay,
1: to yeah. fucking shit. And like, like, there's what was <clears throat> the one in the second map pack that like nobody voted for for the longest time that we thought was must have been complete shit because yeah, we yeah. never got to play on it. I'm trying to find. I, it. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, Landfall. Landfall was it. Thankfully. And Landfall is a weak map, but yeah, it's not a completely terrible map. It's just a map that like doesn't have a really good flow to it, and the central structure has way too many entrances and exits, so you don't know, like, it's, there's it, no good strategy on that map, I feel.
0: And to be fair, it is my favorite of the odd three ones yeah, in the yeah. map packs, because the one that came out, the Castle map pack, two of them are really in, interesting and awesome, yeah. but Daybreak, the third of those, is broken to me, and
1: I think it's... Like, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's that bad, but I'm okay. calling it broken, it's not Colossus on Halo 2 that was, to me, completely unplayable online. I just don't like it at all. Like, it's
0: it's really, to me, it's like... I have the same reaction people did with Landfall, where it's like, I don't want to play if I have to play on Daybreak, because I never have... I just never have any sense of the geography of that map, how things come together.
1: I just think the layout is
0: really awkward and non-intuitive. Yeah, like,
1: I, I will say that I don't think it's a great map. Like, the weirdest thing about it is it is a, it is a fairly large map. Like, it's certainly, like, a catch-of-the-flag type map, and there are, like, two bases on opposite sides, but it's really weird because the map is really wide. So it's, like, it's sort of like this big oval... And the two bases are on, like, opposite sides of, like, you know, of the short ends. So it's like, you know, you can walk across to the other base in about, like, five seconds if you sprint, but it takes, like, a good minute to go all the way around the perimeter of the map because of how wide it is. And that's, it has a very weird feel because of that. Yeah. But yeah, like, I don't think it's completely terrible. Like, I certainly wouldn't call it broken, but it's definitely the weakest of the castle maps. With I map. think it's the weakest of the map pack maps overall to me, but
0: most for the most part you know, getting two good new maps out of each map pack. Un- Especially
1: un- in the second map pack, Monolith and Skyline. Fantastic. I fucking love those maps. Like, those are my two favorite maps on Halo 4 for, like, Slayer stuff. Because Monolith has, like, the great like, sort of narrow situation of having the back-and-forth mancans across the center. Yeah. So much fun to just, like, like run, spin in the air, start sprinting so you hit the ground running in the opposite direction and, like, go back in. And Skyline so just
0: does just about everything well. You can do yeah, Sloth, yes. you can do Slayer, you can do Capture the Flag. They all work
1: great. Yeah, Skyline is definitely on the level of, like, Haven in Halo 4 of, like, this is just a really fucking solid map that I will happily play Slayer on any fucking time. It's like yeah. almost like the, the lockout of Halo 4. Right. So, Which now there is a lockout of Halo Yeah, the 4. shutout remake, fantastic. Really good. Uh, like, I, I think it's good, but it's definitely one where Halo 4 plays so differently to me that I don't, I don't feel like the map necessarily accommodates the differences in the movement of Halo 4 that okay. much to me, but, like, I don't think it's terrible, but it's, like, it's not special to me, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, jumps and stuff that you can't make anymore that change the way that map plays for me that I don't Right, think, but.
0: Alright, so what else do we have to talk about? I'm kind of losing my voice.
1: Okay. Like, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount of else to talk about with Halo Four. It's just definitely the situation. It's a lot more fun to go in and play multiplayer now. And then, also, like, one of the things I've been having most fun with multiplayer now is the mode uh, Dominion, which is unique to Halo Four. It's one of the newer modes where you have like the three bases and you have to capture them. and And I like it a lot more now because I played so much more of it that now I actually understand like the way the game works way more than I used to. Where it's like there's a lot of really on-the-fly sort of, like, math you have to do of that base has, like, 10 seconds to score a point, this base has 20 seconds, that base has, like, 40 seconds, like, it just scored a point, and it's, like, you have to time this out of, like, you know, you need to hold down the bases, and every time, like, their, like, timer goes down, it gives you 20 points. So it's, like, do I, I just try to hold down, like, the one we have left, and will we be able to eke out the rest of the points before they overtake us? Do I have to go, like, try to take that base? Like, there's a lot of, like... Really quick decision makings that are very tactical that I like. That it's very difficult to do until you play a lot of that mode. But once you get into it, I find that mode really fun.
0: I, I completely agree with that. I uh, I love Dominion. I think it's it's one of the best game types for exactly what you said. And I feel it's like really fun, frantic in that way where you're yeah. doing all this stuff. Like that's one where I use my always running uh, loadout because it's like you need fucking speed if you're gonna yeah. get like I need to capture that in the next 20 seconds. Get back to this one.
1: I also like that. Like some of the maps play a lot, like really differently because yeah. of some of the map layouts, it's like it's all about holding down that middle one, and it's like you know, like you just hold that one out for as long as you can because they don't get because they basically have to go through the middle one to get to your like main one. And then there's like the map like Longbow where it's like all three of them are like equidistant apart, like it's a big equilateral triangle. So it's like every single one's up for grabs, and there's no like single like one you have to hold down. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, like I'm definitely enjoying Halo Four multiplayer a lot more now than I did when it first came out. Like I'm fucking I I'm think like level 109 now. they're still making great it. use of the challenges. Do you want? Yeah, yeah. That? That's one of my favorite things is that they've, uh, after having not played it for like two months and then coming back into it, they really up the amount of experience you get for completing challenges, which makes leveling not a complete grind once you get past 50. Because when like after I first stopped playing in my first chunk, I think I was like half like level 65 or something like that, like. And at that point, it was like, once you get into the higher levels of those, like, ten level chunks, it gets really hard to keep on leveling up, and so now I have the nice motivation of, okay, I'll go in, I'll complete the challenges for, like, this week, and then I don't have to play Halo 4, and it's, like, this nice little, like, reason for me to play the game, and then, like, I feel like I've accomplished something, you know, I've leveled up a lot, and I can just kind of put it down and wait for the new challenges to come out, and that's a and, lot of fun.
0: And that's how I played Reach. I thought Reach really cracked that with their challenges and, uh... Yeah, Halo Four uses it just as well. There's always, and I just like the so many tiers of challenges in Four. Yeah, that there's it's nice to keep track of. Do you want to talk a little bit because you did play all of it about Spartan Ops season one?
1: Oh uh, yeah, sure. that uh, Spartan Ops was a really interesting experiment, I guess, and it's something where I don't know if they're going to make a season two. The way season one ends, like Spartan Ops, the best part of it by far are the CGI episodes, and I would totally recommend if you don't have interest in playing Spartan Ops and you don't need to play all of Spartan Ops is you can just go in, I think they're all for free on YouTube now, if not, like, you know, you can just go in, if you have Halo 4, they're free on Halo 4, and just watch the CGI episodes for each week, because it makes, like, a good, maybe, like, hour-long Halo movie, and they're all really high quality, they tell a really interesting story that ends in a way that it's, that they can't necessarily reuse the same assets over and over and over again, like, they kind of change the status quo that's, like, it wouldn't make sense if, you know... Like, they would have to explain why Prometheans keep on popping up, like, why you're still fighting the Covenant. Like, there's a definite ending to Season 1 of Spartan Ops, so I don't know if there's going to be Season 2. But I really want there to be a Season 2, because with the Season 1 of Spartan Ops, they had sort of five-episode chunk, and then they took, like, a month break in between, and then they did the last five episodes. And that, like, break in between, where they were, like, developing the, the next five, really helped Spartan Ops work way better. Like, the second half of Spartan Ops is, like, five times better than the first half it's so much better there are different maps they use the maps better that time like there's the maps have like a lot of different areas to them so even if you're in the same like technical map you go to different places in it but it's like obviously they can reuse some of the same maps from uh the first half every once in a while they feel a lot more fresh than having to play the same map three times although like that sort of situation came around at like the last couple of episodes in the second half of okay, I've played, played in this area before, I've played in that area before, and I've played in that area before, and it doesn't feel very new, but they definitely improved it way, over, way much over this, the first half of it. So I feel like if they did a second season and they improved it as much from the first half as they did to the second half again, that would be what Spartan Ops needs to be. And then I think it would be a really quality of, like product, something that I would definitely recommend playing. As it stands now, you definitely do not necessarily need to play Spartan Ops. There's like a few... There's, I think it's uh, episode seven is where you go back to the Infinity and you're fighting on the Infinity. That like whole chunk of five uh, missions is really really good, and the the first like episode six like that chunk is pretty good too. And so there are definitely some sections of Spartan Ops that are a lot of fun, but in but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend playing all of it unless you know like you're listening to a podcast or something. And sometimes I do that, or you want to get the challenges that it's fun.
0: Yeah, I, I will probably do it someday.
1: I just have not had time yet. Yeah. Because you get behind and it's like, well, now I've got ten episodes to yeah. play. And it, yeah, and it's, it definitely is, It becomes a big grind. Like, there's just certain parts where it's like, you're just throwing enemy after enemy and you're just doing nothing interesting with the encounters. Like, I wish they had gotten a lot more creative with it than they did, but like I said, if they make a season two and they, like, are able to improve over it again to, like, that extent... It would be where it needs to be, but right now it's just kind of disappointing.
0: Okay. Anything else we want to talk about? with Halo Four multiplayer.
1: Uh, sh- I don't think so. Just uh, like you know, and they're still making adjustments. I think I heard there's a uh, another update coming down to like a title update coming down the line that will adjust some of the balance of like I think make the BR a little bit more powerful, make it a four shot kill again as opposed to a five shot kill that they like for Halo Four. And you know, just like there's you know 3-4-3... three four three exp overall coming. Oh, yeah, like, they're doing a whole... I mean, they've done the thing where they've uh, implemented a, like, 1 to 50 ranking system that, like, kind of like how Halo 2 and 3 worked in the ranked playlist of, you know, you do really well in Team Slayer, and you start going up and up and up, like, from 1 to however high you are. Like, in Halo 3, I think I maxed out, like, 45 or something, and, like, the, the top one is 50, and it sort of is a nice indicator of how much you're improving your gameplay or it's like this really like crushing like physical reality of i played like for halo 3 i played so many games of lone wolves that i can't move that score because like that average is not changing like ever and it's just like this that is sitting at 45 for all of eternity no matter how much i play this game so it's either like this crushing like fist of reality or like this like really fun hey like look i'm getting better and better at halo until you're like, there's a there's a point at which you can't get better anymore. It's like, all the comic books, all the movies, all the TV shows, everything I've ever experienced and watched in life that's fictional have been a complete fucking lie. Dragon Ball Z is bullshit. If you believe in yourself, you will just get crushed by life, and everything is horrible. But, you know, on that that's note, the way things are. On
0: that note, let's take a quick break. All right. And we will come back and talk about Doctor Who. Doctor Who? Yes, indeed, Sean. Doctor Who. So... Let's talk. Hyde. Episode four of season seven B, episode ten of season seven overall kind of a bit, a bit, a bit.
1: Yeah. Whether um, or not you count the middle episode, which is a Christmas special. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because some people don't. Some people are calling this episode nine. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. This is not episode nine. Did you not watch the snowman? <laughs> anyway, it
0: is Hyde, written by Neil Cross, who wrote The Rings of Akaten, which was our favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah. So we were looking forward to this one a ton. Neil Cross and Doctor Who seem to go
1: together very well. Yes, they do. Sean, what did you think of Hyde? Uh, I really, really liked it. I think this is probably my favorite episode of the season so far because, I mean, one, it's just a really solid episode with some really great writing and great performances, but I also think, you know, I, you know, obviously if you listen to my favorite TV show's thing, my two favorite TV shows were one, Doctor Who, and two, The X-Files, and this was a very x files episode in that they they went to, like, a haunted mansion, there was a ghost... You know, they, like, meet up with this one girl who's a psychic and this dude who's trying to, like, investigate it. There are cold spots and shit. Like, it's a ghost episode. I fucking love ghost shit. So I really, really like that part of the episode, too.
0: Yeah, I love this episode. I thought it was fantastic. I, I'm i not quite sure where I would put it, like, overall. Like, I think I probably like Rings of Akaten more just because of the ending... But, I will fully admit, I liked the first half of this more than I liked the first half of The Rings of Akaten, and this this gets even stronger in its last half. That's another one that builds very, very well, and I think, I'm just very happy where Doctor Who is right now, because we're halfway into Season 7B, and we've had three great episodes for me. I've loved three of these four episodes, really loved them, and I'm like, this is Doctor Who, it just feels right, everything, I'm really liking what they're doing. And uh, two of those have been Neil Cross, and he's done a great job, and I, I sincerely hope he keeps writing for Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Because I think he may be the best non like Stephen Moffat writer they've brought on during this Stephen Moffat era, in Neil, terms of... Neil, Neil Gaiman. Fuck, okay, sorry. I, I, for some reason, I think of him as such a guest writer, because he's so, like... Yeah, because like,
1: it is Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Like, no, 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 of course. Yeah.
0: Neil Gaiman wrote, like, the best episode of Revive Doctor Who. Yeah. So, okay. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like uh, oh. Right. So and, and that's but isn't that a great thing to think about that we yeah. will have had at least two of these Neil Cross episodes and a Neil Gaiman episode this season. That's enough. Yeah. In a certain yeah. sense. That's that'll be a good good set. But no, Hyde is great, I think. I just love how many things it does. I like in the first half that it's I totally got the X Files vibe. Yeah. But I also got a little bit of a Scooby Doo vibe. Where yeah, I can around. see that. And it's just a little comedic nods, but it's doing High comedy with the Doctor and Clara. The banter between the two of them is gloriously written and Mm -hmm. performed. Just wonderful stuff. You've got uh, compelling side characters, I think. Uh, Gray Scott, and I don't know the name of the actress, but I I liked those characters. They were good performances. Not great, but good. Um, I liked the story. I was intrigued by this. And I suspected that, okay, there's there's more to this than meets the eye, because that's how, you know, Yeah, it's works. not,
1: it's obviously not just going to be a
0: ghost. Like, yeah.
1: That's immediately but, apparent. But. but,
0: you know, before then, we have the scenes of them moving around, and they were legitimately spooky. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, they were spooky. I was not scared, but they were fun, spooky in that way, while still mixing in some nice comedy, nice character work. Uh, And then we get through to the second half where we start getting into the the story. And it was actually a very clever things that start happening where Doctor is going all throughout time. It has one of my favorite scenes that they've done in. I mean, one of those I would put on par with Rings of Akaten where Clara has this realization, as you would if you started traveling to the TARDIS. And this is one of the best Doctor examples I can think of of a human getting mind fucked by the TARDIS yeah. of seeing the totality of time and there's some great dialogue there. I want to come back to this scene later on. Yeah. And then just the whole ending and, and, and the production values are great throughout and, and again, mixing this this spooky, intense kind of action side with some really good character arcs. And then at the end, just like Rings of Akaten, there's all these disparate elements you don't know how they're gonna come together. They come together hundred percent. And yeah. it works. Even more so than in Rings of Akaten.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: doesn't reach that same emotional climax. But
1: he's but not trying to. No, no, like, no, Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not ending, like, with this big fucking speech and stuff. No, 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 know?
0: but in terms of, like, just narrative construction, this thing is rock solid, and yeah. it's just great.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. without a doubt. So, yeah, like, where do you want to start with, like, the discussion of the episode <clears throat> proper? Well, you know, I, I do want to start with the writing, because I think Neil Cross's dialogue is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, especially his writing for The Doctor and Clara in particular. Like, it's very snappy, very witty. There are a lot of, like, really funny little jokes here and there that's, like... It's just a lot of fun to listen to, like you just like the dialogue's just like really good. It's really good, snappy Doctor Who dialogue.
0: And, and I think even more than that, we talked about last week that the problem when Mark Gatiss writes for Doctor Who is that he doesn't get the characters. He just yeah. they're so nondescript in his scripts. Uh and, and here, this really felt like felt like Clara, like this is a character we're getting to know and this is a really good, this episode is a nice step forward for Clara. Yeah. And for the Doctor this really, really is the Doctor. He's giving Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman stuff they can dig into and they have so much fun with it.
1: hmm Yeah. There's,
0: yeah, as you said, there's so much great banter.
1: Yeah, it's just always, like I can't like the the joke in my mind that sticks out doesn't really involve Clara, but it's what we were just talking about where while uh, we were taking our break of, with Doctor Who you know, the Doctor Who bullshit is so oppressive, so overbearing. The puns. Yeah, the, the the puns. The the Doctor Who bullshit, I should I should say. And I love in this episode near the beginning, when the Doctor, like, comes in for the first time, there is a, like, Doctor Who, like, title joke, but it's really quick, really fast, it's kind of funny, and it feels like a joke that the classic series would have made about the title once every, like, three years, where the Doctor comes in, he says, I'm the Doctor, the guy says, Doctor what? And it's like if you like, and then they just move on. Like, that's it. I thought that was fucking hilarious, because that's I've never heard that before. Like, like in like changing the who to a what, and the doctor's like, eh, whatever, sure. Yeah, and you know what? That's
0: the thing. We would not mind these jokes if they were creative, but the problem with the puns is that this season, every time it's been done, yeah. it's the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, and so that's why it's not, it, like, just at, at its most base level, it's not funny, because yeah. we know it's coming. But here, that was funny, because it was a play on our expectations. Yeah.
1: And, and it was like, you know, it was a wink to the audience, but it was like a wink that was so quick you could miss it if you blinked. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was there, it was gone. It was done, Like It was yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty funny. It was a nice little introduction to the beginning of the episode, like having those characters meet up. I really liked it. I really liked that too, I think. And that was sort of like a lot of the tone of like sort of the more humorous side of the dialogue, just back and forth with a lot of the characters throughout the course of the episode. And obviously there was like a lot of really great dramatic dialogue, but it was like, just the stuff that sort of, like, needs to be said, like sort of exposition type scenes and stuff, was really nice to watch just because it was not really plain. It was funny. It had a lot of character to it.
0: Yeah, and I think the dialogue, as it was in Rings of Akaten, though, you know, we got great banter yeah. and that creates this great foundation. But when Neil Cross wants to get dramatic boy, he does some good stuff. That, yeah. Like I said, my favorite scene in this episode was the Doctor going back and forth through time on the TARDIS, which, one, was just neat because the production values were really nice. Yeah. You were kind of wondering, like, what's he doing? Like, what's going to happen here? He's taking the camera. You, you, In the back of your mind, you're putting it together.
1: Yeah, yeah I think that's part, I figured out pretty quickly, not necessarily that it was a time traveler, but it was someone stuck in time, like...
0: I, I got that, but yeah. I think, but what I, what I like is that,
1: you know... That you're seeing it and you're putting it together yourself yeah and, yeah. and, and that that's a cool way especially once he comes back and like to have like like the clear image because he's taken all those pictures across time I thought that was a really cool idea that takes advantage of the tardis and then also provides that opportunity to have this like 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 that really great scene where he has this like real this real moment with Clara where Clara like has this realization of oh I've just seen it's like the birth of my planet and the destruction of my planet over the course of like the last 30 minutes and I, my body, like my bones are like probably out there buried in the earth right this fucking second and, and it, I could go find them.
0: And that was so beautifully written and that is a concept that, you know, now that I think about it, I think has been underutilized on Revived 2. Yeah. That's something that they kind of just, the companions come on, it's like it's nothing but fun but you know, that's something that would fuck with you. Yeah. And I think it's especially, it feels true to Clara who has been questioning things like that. Yeah. And she is inquisitive in that way, and it, it all builds up to this line that is so, so fucking great and so brilliant. It's really simple. It's not like interestingly, you know, synth, you know the syntax or something. Yeah. But she says, you know, I'm alive and I've been dead a hundred billion years. I'm a ghost. To you, I'm a ghost. We're all ghosts to you, and that's yeah. such an interesting idea. And I think it. I think in this time when we are having our first companion transition for Matt Smith. I think it's a good idea to bring up. Yeah. Um, and this idea, and it, it kind of gets back to, I think, what the classic companion, attitude towards companions is where the Doctor is a little more detached.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he sees it in this temporal context. That, that reminds me, there's also another really nice odd, like nod uh, earlier in the episode, speaking of companions, where they're having a conversation with the, uh, the, 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 the guy and the psychic and he referred. And the Doctor asks, like, oh, she's your companion?" He's like, "No, she's an assistant." He's like, "Oh yeah, it's the seventies. They're called assistants now, or like whatever that line is." That's great because in because that's like when the third Doctor came on, he had Liz Shaw, and that sort of era they referred to as assistants and not as companions. That's great. I thought that was like a really again another you know obviously it's like a wink to the audience, like a little like reference, like little tiny fourth wall breaking. But I think it works, like because yeah, yeah. it doesn't miss. Like if you didn't know that you wouldn't think that. Like, if you didn't know about that whole assistant thing, it just seems like a little bit of dialogue.
0: I want to ask you about another fourth wall breaking thing in a second, but I want to go back to this point of her line about ghosts and stuff. It's just, you know, I think that's something the dialogue does in in Neil Cross's writing here, is bringing thematic ideas into it in very natural ways, where Clara's conclusion there is a very apt one, which is that this sense of, you know, when you're traveling through time and you have this temporal disconnect, that's what fucks with you, is that you are alive and dead, kind of because you see the totality of time. Yeah. And the Doctor exists in the totality of time. He doesn't know anything else. And I, like, I always like when Matt Smith's Doctor, because he plays these things so well, is challenged on his perceptions of yeah. time. And that's a moment where he has to stop and think like, you know, I don't live like Clara. I, I don't see time linearly. I really never have for mm-hmm. most of my life. And, you know, when you're confronted with that, Matt Smith plays that great, she plays that great, and you get a much better sense of who she is, what their relationship is. And, it's, and so much of that is predicated on just good dialogue writing. And yeah,
1: yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's a really, really great scene.
0: Yeah. But okay, I want to ask you about another piece of fourth wall breaking. Okay. Because uh, this one, it, I wouldn't even have batted an eyelash at it, but they're doing it a lot. It's, uh, Clara says something about how uh, whiskey is the 11th worst thing in the world. Yeah. That is our third 11th reference this season. We had an asylum of the Daleks. Yeah. He says, um... This one goes to eleven or something. I forget. Yeah, something
1: like that. Yeah. But and then in uh, the uh, the premiere se- season premiere, yeah, bells of Saint John. Yeah, where she said like you'll love chapter eleven. That's where she says yeah.
0: chapter 10's great, but chapter eleven is where it gets or something yeah. like chapter 10's good. Chapter 11's where it gets great. Yeah. And then now she has this eleventh thing. And like is... I,
1: I don't. I mean, it, it, it's something where it's like that might not even be fourth wall breaking. Like that might not be completely intentional. I don't know. Like it's it's almost sort of like you know. I, that kind of feels like when in Cold War he pulls out a Barbie and everyone's like, or like the Bad Wolf thing, like, they use Hungry Like a Wolf, the Duran Duran song, and they're like, it's a rose thing! Like, it, it's something where it's like, it could be, okay. but it might not. But here's, because, like you know, 11 is a number.
0: Yeah, but it stuck out to me because they've been
1: using 11
0: Twice. Exactly, it's, it's,
1: it's something that like it will stick out to you, but that does not necessarily mean it's intentional. Like it, but, it's but, something that might more that's a problem my, of the other stuff in the season.
0: But that's my question: is that she could have said any number, and eleven seems very random. And the thing is, I mean, this script has to pass through several drafts by Neil Cross himself. It's going to go to Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat is going to oversee it the entire time it's in production. If eleven is a thing he is building up to, which it seems like it is, alongside the Doctor Who puns,
1: yeah,
0: then. If if Neil Cross had a different number in there, he was gonna fucking change it to eleven. Like that. Yeah. Is just, yeah. It's but again, like this is something like didn't bother me. I'm asking yeah. you, did it bother you? No, no, okay. not at all. Like it's um, I definitely noticed that, but
1: like I just uh, assumed people
0: unfair. were gonna be interested because we get you know shit from people who don't get our obsession with the Doctor Who puns thing, and it's yeah, like like
1: it's yeah, it's like because that's so just like I said, like that could be completely non intentional, and I wouldn't bet an eye. Like it yeah. could be a complete fucking coincidence. Yeah.
0: But I think I think we need Clara to have an episode where she sits down and lists her eleven th- most hated things in the world. Sure, I think that needs, that needs to be the next episode of Doctor Who, or no, they can do a prequel to an episode. And her number
1: one one is Doctor Who puns, and I'm like, thank you,
0: Clara. I want to marry you. Yes. Yeah.
1: Best companion ever. Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. So, uh, what else talk about? Let's talk about the uh, obviously the last half of the episode. We find out someone's stuck in time. Yeah. And that's an interesting idea on its own. But then I love where they go with it, where he has to go into this into the the bubble universe. Yeah. And I
1: like how they they bring that idea back from the Doctor's wife, so you're kind of familiar with it. And I
0: also love that he it's one of the it's this great reflexive moment where he's explaining a bubble universe and he gets two balloons and it feels like a parody of every scene every time anyone's ever had to do techno Babble like that
1: yeah and it's great just because those two balloons mean fucking nothing no like my favorite part of that whole scene where he's explaining that to the uh, psychic chick and he's uh, telling her like you get to the part where it's like okay this is really why he's explaining this is because oh she's a lantern like her psychic abilities for like whatever fucking reason like allow like the, the time traveler lady to see her across the, the bubble universe like kind of into our universe and it's like and he calls her a lantern and it's like why is he not put like normally you would have there be a lantern like in between the two balloons like he'd like put it there it's like you're this lantern or something it's like there wasn't a lantern there. I just thought that was really funny. Where it's like, those glubulean blues, completely useless in this explanation. Like, completely fucking superfluous.
0: It's one of these episodes where the doctor's brain is moving so much faster. Yeah, yeah. Faster than his mouth and his ass. Yeah, it's is- definitely
1: like, I say it's like really superfluous, but that feels like an intentional decision in the writing, not the, or like either in the performance or something. Like, it's not necessarily, yeah, yeah. I think it's like really dumb because it's superfluous. I think it's funny. Right. That was great. Uh, here's a question I have. So,
0: so obviously, Psychic Lady becomes very important because she can open this portal and yeah. let them walk through it. She's described in her first scene as being Deanna Troy from Star Trek. That she is a psychic who... Oh, she's an
1: empathic, yeah.
0: Yeah, an empathic. That she's basically half Betazoid, where you know, if she was full Betazoid, she could read people's thoughts but she's half, so she can only read their emotions. What the flying fuck does that have to do with opening an alternate dimension?
1: That's nothing. Like, <laughs> like it's it's, you know... And she's a psychic, like so. I like, just don't... It's the lantern thing. Like I'm saying, like there's absolutely no reason why you should be able to see her from across the bubble universe. Like you just can't because she's psychic. Like you know, why is she psychic? What the fuck is that? Psychics don't really. But, but here's exist my thing: impacts don't exist.
0: They could have just said she was a psychic in her introduction scene. And and left it at that, and then all of that would have made perfect sense to me. But because we go through this whole thing of she's an empath, and that actually never comes into play in the rest of the episode.
1: I, it, I, not yeah, not like in a huge way, but I think I it's just I think it's like a little character detail. Okay, like, and it almost felt like I because I was waiting almost the entire episode for a scene where she like impacts with the doctor in some way, and it kind of like fucking blows her mind because it's like oh wait you've been alive for a thousand years and she'd be able to sort of like see into that. And they have that a little bit where she warns Clarence like he has ice in her heart or in his heart. Like, they use it a little bit to like sort of suggest some things and to sort of like get some scenes to happen. But yeah, it's not like a critical... I thought they were going to do more with it and it feels like they probably did and then had to cut it for some reason. Yeah, Because especially like that feels like Maybe love was a more prominent theme in the episode in a in an earlier draft because of like how that all the shit ties up in the end where it's like, oh, those two people get together and it's like oh you're like the great 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 great, great granddaughter and like oh no, the monster was just trying to get, like get laid with his like hot chick or whatever it's like this he wasn't a bad guy in the end like that kind of part of it probably was more prominent in the impasse thing would have played into that Okay. Confusing.
0: well let's talk about how it all wraps up. Doctor goes to the bubble universe. I really love the design there with the forest.
1: Yeah, I thought again, like it's, and I like that whole sequence where they it was it stopped being a ghost. You know, like you you knew that it's okay. It's not ghost. Like it stopped being that side of things. But I like how they still kept that sort of like vaguely horror imagery going on with like the endless forest that he he runs into, and the whole thing where they open up that portal is feels like felt like very much like a horror movie of like. It's Poltergeist. Yeah, Poltergeist. That's what I was thinking of. I've got fucking Insidious on the brain because that was like that, that movie that I watched where they go to the further and all that bullshit is very similar to that. And like that like portal in bullshit it's like that kind of stuff happens in that movie. But yeah, it's that very like horror movie. Like you've opened a portal to fucking hell or whatever. And like yeah. they don't, show it, like, directly, and, like, it's all the wind blowing and shit. Like, that's a very horror movie. And once the portal
0: closes, Matt Smith does a great job just showing, kind of, getting scared. Yeah, yeah. And we don't see that a lot from this Doctor, and so that was interesting. Uh, and I really liked how they resolved that, where not only did Clara get to go use the TARDIS and come in, but then the psychic was still important to get the TARDIS back, so just, yeah. both sides were important. And I liked the little thing where Clara felt the TARDIS didn't like her. Like, I yeah. really like whenever they remember to make the TARDIS a character...
1: She yeah, is. I, I I really like that too, and it's it's something that's just interesting because I and when that was introduced in Rings of Akaten I was th- suspected that would be a like ongoing thing, but I think that was actually just Neil Cross. These are those are both Neil Cross episodes. Yeah. He was just like I I like how he set up a little tiny character arc across those two episodes that I and he, he probably the, will not come up again.
0: Yeah, and he wrote this one first actually. So he, but I mean, he, he that's probably, what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like nice yeah. reverse engineering. That's yeah. smart writing. Um, but I like that, I, and I, I just, you know, since the Doctor's wife, I, I like any chance where they really get to bring some of that back.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: uh, it felt like, you know, she had a personality here, and that then she gets to, you know, help Clara out, and they go through, and there's just a nice, really kind of fun action sequence yeah. where the TARDIS comes through, Doctor jumps on, and I like the idea of him coming back through the
1: dimension, just holding on to the outside.
0: Yeah, which, you know,
1: like, I know that happened in, uh, fucking, when, like, uh, John Behrman was on the back of the TARDIS, like, the... Whenever that was, when they ran to the the master in season three, but what that like? It seems different when you're going across universes. I don't know. I don't think the Doctor would have probably gotten fucking vaporized. But who knows? Okay. Who knows? There's there, there's some there's some Doctor Who like suspension of d- disbelief going on in certain parts of that episode. There. Superman versus Doctor Who. <laughs> I think mean, they wouldn't fight. Okay, I know they'd be friends. Like, yeah, like immediately. <laughs> All right, but, but so- if like. The doctor tried to fuck with Superman. It'd be over.
0: Okay. Maybe that's how the eleventh doctor should regenerate. Crossover <laughs> with Man of with Steel. <laughs> Steel. Yeah. All right.
1: Anyway, it's like that for for whatever reason. Like somehow the doctor accidentally causes Krypton to blow up. Superman's like oh, <laughs> during okay. the time war. Yeah, exactly.
0: There were some. There were some time lords hiding there. He blew the planet up. Yeah. In his dark Christopher Eccleston years. Yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's see. So, so kind of, we're, we're near the end here with all the wrap-ups, but all, I like how all of these things are coming together where the psychic is very important, Clara gets to play a really active role, doctor's is obviously very active, yeah. the um, Dugray Scott character is not quite as important to all these things, but he's important to the character arcs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, like and then even we bring, bring back, and I'm like, and I just was assuming at this point that the monster was just sort of a one-off, didn't, didn't really matter, the monster was not the point, so we weren't yeah. going to know any more about him. But then the Doctor puts it together and realizes he wasn't evil, he just wanted his mate.
1: Yeah, he just I, wanted to fuck.
0: Yeah, and I will I will agree, like, you were talking about how that was not fully baked. Yeah. But I like, I just like any Doctor Who conclusion where we can find out the Doctor, or the monster wasn't really evil and the Doctor can do something nice for it. Yeah, and,
1: and like when I was talking to you before we recorded the episode, I, I will totally buy that just because I love the scene where he goes back And the monster comes up to him, and you get a nice close-up on, and I love, it's just like, it's a practical costume, so it doesn't look completely shitty like the Ice Warrior costume from the last episode, of like, you know, like the fucked up, like crazy, like creaked, like black, looks like it's like gnarled bark face that the monster has, and it's just like, there's just a really nice moment there, you're like, yeah, even fucked up gnarled bark monsters need to get laid sometimes. So, yeah. That is the moral of this episode. Exactly, that's what we need to take away. Doctor Who's—it's very important,
0: but you know, love does become this sort of theme that's kind of going on through the episode. It's not fully baked, but it's still, it still—it all pays off.
1: Yeah, yeah. It comes it's, back still, it's still there. It's just like it's yeah, not something that felt like it was set up really early on in the episode to like that it would necessarily pay off like like that in the end. Like I said, it felt like that might have been a more prominent aspect in an earlier draft or something that yeah. they had to cut.
0: And, and, you know, no matter what, this is such a tightly constructed episode, it's so satisfying yeah. on just about every level. This is, this is
1: Doctor Who firing on all cylinders for a, you know, just middle-run episode. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a really, really fun one-off episode. It, I like, you know, Clara can just be Clara, the Doctor can just be the Doctor. It's like, kind of like with the Rings of Akatan. There's no bullshit going on here. It's just an episode of Doctor Who, and that's a lot of fun. And it's a really good episode of Doctor Who. It's got really yeah. fun sci-fi ideas. It's got a really good direction. It's got a nice horror theme going on that actually uses effectively, unlike Cold War. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's... And then, you know... And then, yeah, I really liked the design of the monster. I felt like it looked fucking cool. I like that, you know, obviously it was not, like, a really great costume or whatever, but I like they used it effectively of you didn't see it a lot, had, like, a weird jittery effect when it moved. They made really effective use of that monster in a way that I really appreciated in a way that, like, the X-Files would have. of Like, realizing we don't have a great budget, this thing doesn't look that great, but we'll use it sparingly and we'll use it effectively. And I thought they did a really good job of that.
0: And this was a tremendously directed episode, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know the name of this episode's director off the top of my head. I'll look it up now. But uh, g- great direction. I love the use of the, the house set. Really looked yeah, like yeah. The, the right place to, you know, do this. Um, I thought, this is just an interesting observation, but don't you think the Doctor's new costume looked especially cool in this set? It
1: fe- yeah, it felt very fitting for, like, that sort of, like, the way the house looked. Yeah. yeah.
0: And even uh, playing in with the color scheme of the Infinite Forest. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, anything else to talk about? I mean, you know, effects were very good throughout, as they usually are on Doctor Who these days.
1: Yep. It, yeah. Just like all around, you know, a really good episode. It's also nice that you know you got to see that it was like the there was not an over reliance on the sonic screwdriver like there was in Rings of Akatin, but it was like we said there, it was justified in Rings of Akatin. So now I can be safe in saying like, yes, it is justified because he didn't use it all over the place in this episode. So yeah, yeah. Um,
0: And, uh, okay, so the director is a guy named Jamie Payne. Has not directed for Doctor Who before, so I always like it when we bring someone new on and they do good work, like Neil Cross. So, very good. Very good to see. Um, And, you know, the next three... The the rest of the season sounds really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the next episode, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS... As a great name, yeah, it was a great fucking name for an episode,
0: and I just we have not had okay. Doctor's wife kind of did some stuff with the TARDIS. Yeah, the, in the there minute. were like
1: a few little extra sets yeah. that they made for the interior. But the I TARDIS. really
0: like the idea of just setting an episode in the TARDIS.
1: Yeah, like, fuck, let's Invasion of Time, this shit, have the Fourth Doctor just, like, running through the same room five times, that's clearly the same room, that they, that it's the same room because they have no budget, and it's, like, an outside, like, location that they're just pretending he's in the TARDIS, but it's, like, fuck it, we'll make it a joke, and it's fucking hilarious.
0: Nice. Like, let's uh, do that. The next Mark Gatiss episode is after that, the Crimson Horror, and I'm not a Mark Gatiss fan, but this one has Madame Strax and her Investigation League doing a, and it's apparently from their POV. No, that could be cool. fun. Yeah. Um, we've got Nightmare in Silver, Neil Gaiman, enough fucking said there. Yeah. That's gonna be great. And, uh, and this brings us to a piece of news I wanted to share on this episode and talk about. We know the name of the finale now. It had been hidden for a while, but they put out the name and the poster for it. And the finale this year, written by, uh, uh, Stephen Moffat, is The Name of the Doctor.
1: Which, you know, hopefully that means we will finish this bullshit somehow in one episode. Like, I have no fucking clue now what that episode's going to be since now that you just went through that list of all the other episodes seem like other than maybe the Mark Addis episode will deal with like more of the like series arc stuff but it's like none of that stuff seems like it's going to be built up like I can't imagine Neil Gaiman's episode's going to deal with that.
0: No, because Neil Gaiman wrote it yeah. kind
1: of outside of the boundaries of so, this. Yeah, so it seems like most of the uh, those episodes are going to be completely standalone. So I have no fucking clue. It's probably going to be a huge Stephen Moffat clusterfuck episode like the end of last season. But that's actually kind of better because that means it doesn't fuck up all the episodes leading up to it. And, and But, you know, the other thing I will say here is that I, I, I think there's... a this... secret reveal. I'm just looking at the poster. Yeah. I, I
0: think <sighs> it's, it's, you know... Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of this story. Uh, what? His
1: secret, fuck you. I'm
0: sorry. This sorry. show's been
1: going on fifty fucking years. What secret does he have to be revealed? His name,
0: anyway. But oh, I, God. I am because they are committing to, to by by this, this name at least. I fucking hope so. I mean, when they said the writing of River Song, they showed that and ended that story. So yeah, yeah. So there
1: was that. Well, I mean, Alex Kingston is going to be in that episode apparently so
0: yeah well i didn't mean they ended her story but they got through the part where they were married in quotes. so you think okay so
1: that's you know, what this is actually going to be about i'm just the I, divorce of river song
0: i would like to see them in this name of the doctor episode do whatever they want to do with this plot and
1: i am and keep it the fuck out of the 50th anniversary special yes that's that's why i'm happy especially that's like hopefully it is restricted to that
0: well, and, and this is why I said before, I couldn't imagine him doing that in the 50th special anyway because that's so clearly aimed at a much broader fan base than necessarily watches the show week to week to week.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, they're, they're probably hoping that people come to the theater for that who have not watched Revive 2 at all but watched it on, you know, BBC back in the day.
1: Yeah.
0: But, um, anyway, so, you know, I I, I hope it's good. I, I will say that. I, I want...
1: I mean, I don't want it to be bad but I have no illusion I, I fully expect it to be bad. Like, okay. I don't... I, I don't think it even has a possibility of being good just based on it being called the name of the doctor and it, okay. and it trying to answer that question in some way. There's no satisfying way to answer that question. He's probably not going to answer that question, anyways, because he's, there's no fucking way he's going to give a name to the doctor, and it's all just, you know, like fucking sleight of hand bullshit. Like, it's all just dumb. It's always I, been dumb. I
0: agree it's dumb, but I would just. But it I will would be really like... dumb,
1: and then it will be dumb.
0: Done. That's what I was about I to say. Wash your hands of it. That's what I was about to say. I would just—he's been building up to this for a long time. I would like to see him get this out of his system. Tie together the River Song stuff because that's really the only hanging thread for River, and I feel like we're about done with her. Uh, yeah, get over with that. And I—you know—not because I dislike Alex Kingston or anything. Yeah, like it's just this. like
1: we've seen so much of that character. It's, it's, like, it's like, with like Amy and Rory. Yeah, and Doctor Who is a show that needs to move on quickly to to feel fresh.
0: Yeah. So get through that, and and. Who the fuck knows? They could be tying in a lot of stuff in this finale, and if he wants to air like all Stephen Moffat dirty laundry in this episode and get all plot like, away,
1: this, It's like okay, this is where the we find out how and why the TARDIS blew up, like how the Silence are involved, what the question, like all that, just get it all compacted into this one, just insane nonsensical forty minutes and just done. Clean slate. Although, that would be amazing. I would love the episode just if they did that. Yeah, it would just be like, "Fuck yes, we can have Doctor Who again." Thank you. Thank you, God. To
0: be fair, though, uh, end of season six did indicate that all the different mysteries he has left hanging in the air somehow, would be resolved. Yeah, yet.
1: somehow tied together. So yes, yeah. But, but but that means that none of them can resolve satisfactorily because there is no way you can tie all of that in. Well, I mean, it's. it's I don't know. Um, you, like, you like how can you just, like, I'm just like, how can you, like, satisfactorily bring the silence back and make them relevant again when it's like none of the other silence stories have built up to it at all? You mean like, the
0: one silent story?
1: Well, well, they were in Wedding of River Song, so I count them. Okay, two. okay. And, and technically their first appearance was a two-parter, so. Okay.
0: But that's the one story. Yeah.
1: But it's three episodes. Okay. But anyway, I, you know... Just, exactly like I just don't like I'm saying there's, I don't think there's a fucking chance in the world that that episode's going to be good but it will do a good thing for Doctor Who it is a it's a necessary sacrifice at this point to have Stephen Moffat be able to do season 5 again and like have something of that quality because I think like all of the overarching stories and stuff was a cool idea worked really well in season 5 But obviously did not wrap up in season 5 because we never really found out why or how the TARDIS blew up it's like and once it like those mysteries started compounding, it felt like it got too involved. Stephen Moffat didn't quite know how to handle all of it at the same time, and so if we can wipe the slate clean, hopefully we can have a really, really great, just solid season that can have an overarching thing to it as well. Yeah. I
0: I know I, I, I don't I don't know why suddenly I sound like the optimistic one here, because yeah, I'm mostly I don't, I don't know why
1: you're all I'm saying, I'm not. I don't know why you're not like yeah, Sean. You're right because I would. Like, oh, I, am I right?
0: I would really love it if Stephen Moffat had something nice in his back pocket for this, and I would really like to see some of this redeemed. And
1: I mean, I would too, but there's no way. There's just I can't. I can't fathom how you could possibly do it. I can't. There's just no way. Nothing has been built up to it. Fucking nothing. All the build up for it has been. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. That, I that is it. That I, you, you can't just as proof of fucking wedding of River Song. You can't have a fucking finale that is just this one part episode that just comes out of nowhere that tries to resolve everything but doesn't. Like it's just like it's well, a I, mean clusterfuck again. And
0: I agree. And wedding of River Song was a different case entirely. Even that in that that season did build up. All the non episodes yeah. did play into the arc, That's and true. they were. I mean. As we've said before, Series 6 is 12 episodes of a fantastic season. Yeah, and then one episode where it's like, what the fuck did you people do? Jesus. And I think we've compounded in our minds since then. I don't think the epi- wedding well, of song is
1: that. I, I hated it then. I well, still hate it now. Well,
0: if you go back to that podcast, you were not nearly as okay. as th- right mean, because now.
1: Because, because like, what is left over from that episode is like, the end of that episode and that side of it. But then also the episode itself is extremely messy. It's like extremely
0: said, messy, and I agree. And, and I, I think that will be the biggest problem with this year's finale, no matter what they were going to... The title or anything is that, you know, it, this is not a season that... This is their standalone season. They're not building to things, and that's fine until you get to the part... Yeah, until you did, until yeah.
1: you get to the part where you have an episode that needs to be built up to. Like, yeah. it would be fine if the last episode of the season was just an episode that only like resolved the character arc for like the Doctor in Clara or something. Like, yeah. that would be... I would love that. That's what I would want from the season, but... So maybe McMahon, yeah. if they if they like the name of the doctor just kills all of that shit, then that's what the next season can be, and that would be nice. The name of
0: the doctor is Clara Oswald, Oswald because she is the twelfth fucking doctor.
1: No, I, I told you this before. The name of the doctor is John Smith. He's used that alias before, and you just find out it's not an alias, and that's <laughs> it. Like that. That would be so fucking great, and they like, do it in the
0: teaser before the theme song comes out.
1: Exactly, like it's just the Doctor is in the the TARDIS and like he's just fucking around and stuff, and Clara's like, "But yeah, no, Doctor, seriously, Doctor Who is like, oh, Doctor John Smith. That's a, I, it's, no one ever believes me. I just, I get it on your planet. It's a common name. That doesn't mean that I can't have it. It's Doctor. It says it on my library card. Nobody <laughs> believed me."
0: And then suddenly they hear this like like shaking, and he goes, "Oh, that must have cracked the TARDIS several seasons ago." Yeah, you, you asked the question.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> and then we find out later, like you know, River comes on for a cameo because he's like, he's like, "Oh, River, I want you to meet my friend Clara," and she's like, "Has he told you his name yet?" It's like, "Yeah," it's like, "Yeah, I don't know why everyone makes a big deal out of it." <laughs> River's like, "He told it to me right away. We had to sign the marriage document." Yeah. It's John Smith.
1: Okay, what if Clara is River Song, and that is the real real mystery that's been building up since the fucking silence of the forest or the library or whatever
0: that's about that is a much more distinct possibility i had
1: never even thought of that what if that actually is what it is and it's like fucking river didn't really die in that episode like comes back somehow and regenerates again
0: and because but because she was like in the computer that's what makes it a like failed regeneration with clara where she like dies twice
1: that's that's what it is. I, you know, we figured it
0: out. I don't think that would work because Clara's yeah, a completely I, I different. Yeah, character. I don't think
1: it's a good idea. But like, okay, they, they no, they can't do that because that would just ruin Clara for me. So yeah, no, fuck that, yeah. fuck that idea.
0: And I'm really loving Clara at this point. Yeah. So anyway, point of this segment, Hyde was excellent.
1: Yeah, Hyde was a great episode. We're probably I like I just like with all those other uh, episode titles. I like this, this section has this really nice like, horror vibe to it that's very much, like, the early fourth Doctor episodes had this really, like, cheesy horror-like movie feel to them that I really, like, that's one of my favorite eras. And that's probably the, like, best era in Doctor Who if I was to be, like, more objective about it, honestly. And so, like, I like that. I like their, like, kind of... All these episodes have this nice little, like, horror vibe to them since Cold War. So that's, you know... Yeah. That's cool. Like, Doctor Who has not really done that, I think, at all in the Revive series. Like, really pushed on that side of it. So I
0: think this has a chance of being a good season in the balance. If yeah, like enough. if
1: as like if you like this half overweighing the first half, yeah. Yeah. Like you know, this this episode was really good, Rings of Acton was pretty good. The one before like the season premiere was a good episode. So Yeah. Snowman Snowman was a huge yeah, improvement. the first half of it was fucking great. And the second half it fell apart, but, yeah. yeah, whatever. So that happens sometimes.
0: And we, we lump Asylum of the Daleks in with the first five, but that was a good Steve Yeah, episode. Asylum of the Daleks
1: was a really good episode. I enjoyed that one a lot.
0: All right, so that's Doctor Who. We will be back next week for our sort of final Calm Before the Storm episode. We will talk about Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. I am yeah. so excited to watch that one. That's,
1: that's, like, one of the best fucking episode titles. That's, that's great. That's great.
0: I, I believe the writer on that is the third writer on Sherlock. No, Who cool. does, uh... He did. He did the finale last year on Sherlock, so oh. and that was a very good Sherlock yeah, episode. Yeah. So, and he's, yeah, and I don't know. I don't believe he's written for Doctor Who before. I believe they found him through Sherlock. So anyway, we've got that guy. Uh, anyway, so we'll, we'll talk about that episode. Um, but then I think otherwise we'll be gearing up for summer, and I think it will be a laid-back episode, and we might talk a little bit about what movies we're most excited for.
1: Yeah, I'll play more Golden the Abyss probably Uncharted. Yep, and more then and more Misadventures in the Land of Nathan Drake. Yep, and then two weeks from this podcast. We will be talking Iron Man 3
0: for four or five hours.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or at least twice as long as the actual movies. So yes. Yeah. Look forward to that, I guess. <laughs>